It's Tuesday, January 4th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. You can find them at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear for all you military and law enforcement listeners. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Now, if you want to talk about guaranteedly the most comfortable pill you'll ever own, Mike Lindell, our newest partner in MyPillow, has stepped it up. There used to be MyPillow Premium. Now, Giza Elegance Pillows. I have one. They are definitely fluffier and uh, help you get the best night's sleep you've ever had. Use promo code STAKE at checkout for up to 66% off and more. MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE is the website. Support all of our uh, MyPillow friends down there at the best night's sleep emporium you'll ever have. The top tier of ear gear can be found at Odyssey and Odyssey.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram. Take care of those ears. Whether you're gaming, potting, throwing the rollies in the air, and waving them side to side, keeping the ends high, they're guaranteed to be the uh, most angelic sound you'll ever have while using headphones to do all of your headphone-related work. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. He's been servicing Southern California for over a decade. Licensed FFL with a five-star rating. He's on uh, his newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You can find him on Facebook and Facebook Messenger and via the telephone. 619-870-6992. Our first responders uh, working hard, as usual, um, with, I'm air quoting now, corona cases out of control across the country. Irma Gerd. Yeah, they're, they're working harder than ever before. While they're off duty, they're wearing mediocre medic apparel, sweatshirts, t-shirts, fanny packs, flip-flops, and more. And while they're on duty, they've got patches and stickers on their ambulances and medical bags. You can find them on uh, Instagram, Pretty Fire, and at MediocreMedic.com. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical gear, Dumpbox.us. Go give Mark Joe Friday a visit. Find out what Zero Fuck Stuck is all about. You can find them on Instagram, you can find them on Facebook, and at dumpbox.us. Go and support all of our small American businesses and help make them great again. 
Friends, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find the link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, our website, the Telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 96. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us already. Guys. And then uh, coming in today to do guest hosting duties with the news, he's one of the co-host of the Sergeant and Samurai podcast. He's a uh, got black belts in just about everything you could think of and uh, just a pretty all-around badass. Garrett, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, everyone. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Anytime. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Uh, what's going on? Getting ready to chop it up. Yeah, what's going on with you? How was your holidays? This is our first uh, Steak for Breakfast podcast of the new year. We're going to make a new season? Oh. Yeah, we should. Oh, I feel special. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I do. Holidays were good. We did, uh, you know, a lot of family stuff. It was nice to unplug for a little bit from the world of chaos. But uh, now I'm back in the trenches and ready to rock and roll. Sounds about right. And, uh, you know, someone who hosts a uh, a podcast like we do, you know, that, that job never, in addition to all the regular stuff you do. Um, yes. You know, you are a, a business owner and you have a very busy schedule. You got a large family as well. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, when you when you're doing a podcast kind of on the side and uh, it's not really a source of income at all or anything like that, you know, to make yourself. Nope. Yeah, definitely de- debt drain. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something that never stops. And if you want to keep being like, you know, not only relevant, but uh, you know, cutting edge, basically, you got to never stop working on it. I've been up since yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you're always up. I message you, and I'm like, dude, it's late there. <laughs> you get back to me. Somebody always gets back to me, which is nice. But, yeah, no, I mean, it's tough because I have another podcast, too. We've, we've uh, you know, slowed that down a little bit just because I picked up with the Sergeant and Samurai a little bit more. Right. But, yeah, I got two podcasts. I got, you know, I'm a family of five. I own business. I'm looking to inquire another business. You know, I help coach my kids wrestling team on top of that. I'm going to the board of ed meetings. I'm going to the, the you know, the economic development meetings in town because I have a pretty good stronghold in my town growing up here. So I deal with the mayor and stuff like that. And, dude, it's just, yeah, you got to embrace the hustle. But I wouldn't want it any other way because I get bored. Yeah. Real easy, you know. So I, I feel like staying active and staying busy. And this is one of those fights, too. Like, I'll rest when it's done. Yeah. Does that make sense? It certainly does. You know, like, like if I got to be tired so my kids can enjoy themselves, then it is what it is. I mean, I think it's like the rest of us, especially, you know, you know, if your parents come from a different country and immigrated here and whatnot, like, you know, especially in the area I live that I know me and Antoinette were talking a little bit where her family's from, like they work extra hard. So we had an easier life and we did have an easier life and it kind of made that a problem. So I think it's our turn to work extra hard. Totally yeah. agreed. hundred percent. Yeah. You get that hustle, but you know, that, that attitude from them because you want 100%. to passing it on to your kids and making life easier and, you know, ensuring the future. And you're, you, I think you said your father was a small business owner. My father was a small business owner. So like we, we understand that entrepreneurial spirit. And I think it's also like nobody ever gave to us. We had to work for it and we had to go get it. So I think it just transfers over to a lot of other things in our lives. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So I definitely think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't take into consideration either. Um, All those different factors that kind of go into it. And at the end of the day, you know, contribute to uh, all the stuff that's going on right now. So it's been a very busy news cycle. Uh, You know, we've trying to cover the best we could throughout the holiday season. 
Uh, a lot of stuff they were trying to tuck in there while people were busy and distracted. And, uh, you know, we're going to Which they do on purpose. Sure do. Oh, yep. Uh-huh. So you saw, you know, last week we had a, a large segment where Dr. Fauci and, and Rochelle Walensky were just walking back so much of the COVID stuff while this, you know, it's kind of gotten out of control and out of, away from the administration right now. It's it's funny the language they were using. I mean, Dr. Fauci even brought up the fact that... Uh, What's amazing, the shit that they're trying to, like, push on, like, now, okay, now it's climate change's fault. Right. What are you talking about? I know why why they all why they all buy oceanfront villas. Yeah, like this is all right. So hear me out on this one, guys. All right, like would the insurance companies insure all these multi million dollar oceanfront properties for all these elite people if it was going to be underwater in three years? No, logical thinking, and nobody fucking stops and thinks like, hello. Like the insurance company's not going to take the L on something like they won't even give us flood insurance in certain areas because there's a hundred year flood cycle. <laughs> but you're going to tell me climate change is going to put this thing underwater. And even I mean, according to Al Gore, we, we should already be swimming in like Idaho. OK, <laughs> but like, you know, it, it, the, the insurance companies like that's why I tell people I'm like they, they're not in it to lose money. You think they would be doing this? Yeah, they're 100% not in it to lose money. They're in it to no. not even give you the money when you paid for the insurance half the when time. But you need it. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, so, but logical thinking, that's a lost trait in art, I guess. Yep. Well, I think one of the biggest stories that's been kind of making the news cycle as of late was the uh, big interview that Dr. Malone um, did with Joe Rogan towards the end of last week. And uh, that's kind of been heating up the uh, airwaves, if you will. You know, we saw everything from Dr. Malone getting permanently banned from Twitter. And then, uh, you know, he and both Joe Rogan jumping on together, which I don't know if really is the solution. But at the same time, it's it's definitely something that's been talked a lot in, in the news. And for the people that have taken the time to, uh, you know, sit down and listen to the whole show, it's about three hours yeah, it's good though. I yeah. was not even a moment over. I was like getting bored with it. No, I got I got probably like I'm probably like six, 50 minutes into it right now. Um, a lot of stuff he's been saying though. If you've been aware of certain things, you were aware of probably yeah, not a yeah. twenty four months ago. Right. It's, it's yeah. just interesting that like one of the most prominent figures in uh you know the vaccine related stuff, and then obviously one of the most prominent figures in like I guess you would call it news slash variety bring it to you well i was listening i was listening to it of the mindset of people have to listen to this guy Mm -hmm. it's not me that's you know having a fucking tangent in the break room at work (laughs) exactly it's not me being the crazy dude in the corner drinking too much coffee going you gotta listen to me man yeah (laughs) doing the doing the it's always sunny in philadelphia like fucking connect the dots on the map yeah charlie yeah yeah that's hilarious. It's so true, though. I, I think we've all felt like that at one point or another. You got like the Newport hanging out of your mouth yeah. and the things going all <laughs> over. And you're like, I swear it's all connected. I Making swear. the frogs gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, pretty eye opening, to say the least. And for the people who haven't really been able to hear the whole interview yet, we're going to break down some of the I would call them juiciest parts. I, I, I you know, was able to record different bits and pieces and, uh, you know, we're going to talk about it and, and, and the importance and relevance of this stuff that, you know, like Garrett said, we've been, we've been known for the last longest time since this whole thing started, but now it's really starting to get out there combined with some of the, uh, backwalking we heard from, from 
Fauci and Walensky last week and, you know, the giving up of the administration in regards to federal responsiveness stuff. Well, it's a combination of all these things, too. It's going to be like the Fauci stuff just not making any more sense than it ever did, but even less sense now. And, you know, these ex- these legitimate experts coming out that are yep. explaining things in a way that even a, you know, a novice can understand. And this guy is like one of the creators of this technology. It's like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this week I actually was able to get in contact with uh, Dr. Malone's people. Um, he guy is very busy. I mean, he you does think? he does War Room like three days a week. He does kind of his own podcast. Plus, he's doing actual, believe it or not, doctor stuff because he is a doctor. And he's, you know, he's going all over the world doing this whole medical freedom and trying to uncancel all the people who have been canceled. See if we can just book his beard. Well, yeah, that'd be nice. Speaking yeah, of no. beards, <laughs> we're also in the, in the final stages of booking Dr. Zelenko, who, you know, Robert Malone uh, talks about during this interview, and we'll get to that later. But canceling the uncanceled and the targeting of doctors was one of the things he touched on in the early parts of the interview I thought was really interesting. Let's listen to this first clip and uh, kind of hear his take on it as someone who was actually targeted by it. The observation that I can make if we follow the money is that hospitals are incentivized to to treat COVID patients. Mm. The thing that ties all this little part of this story together, including the suppression through the government um, of early treatment, hospitals are incentivized financially to treat COVID patients. If COVID patients are being treated outside of the hospital and prevented from going to the hospital, such as the case in the Imperial Valley, um, where Brian Tyson George Fareed have saved thousands and thousands of lives of indigenous Latinos that are coming across the border and working the fields. Mm. I mean, they're, they're breaking their backs to save the poor. Amazing story there with early treatments. Um, and I guess they're left alone because they're in the Imperial Valley. Nobody cares. They're all poor. But in these urban environments, there is all these incentives for hospitals to treat COVID patients. And if people are giving treatments that are keeping those people out of the hospitals, then they're not getting that revenue. So your speculation, if I just could unpack this, that doctor in Maui who was giving early treatment, you re- you think that the reason why he was targeted because he was directly costing the hospital money because people weren't going in? I'm not saying, I, I'm saying that the observation is that early treatment keeps people out of the hospital and that hospitals have financial incentives, including death incentives, financial incentives. To discourage incentives. early treatment. So, you know, and that's one of the things I, I remember. You've been saying that since the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> found there, that out and everybody thought we were yep. fucking crazy. There, there's, mm-hmm. there was somebody, you know, I want to say it was reverse. He put a number value on it, too. Yeah, I think what it, I think what it is, is it's three thousand dollars for every covid positive patient that they get in and they're treating. And yeah. it's 30 K for every death. Yeah. So. Hospitals are businesses and they don't make and most of the time hospitals aren't fully booked. Right. They are making such a grab with having like especially like there's two hospitals by me right now. They're diverting people because they're full. Right. right. Yeah. Well, I isn't, think, it, isn't it on the sorry to cut you off. Isn't it on the vent once you they get put on the vent and then death? Is it like an extra on top of like 30? I think you're correct. I don't like know. I'm just bonus round. something like that. But the, it's just insane. And then and still think about how much money. Right. That like, is. 3,000 for, like, say, even a small hospital, 3,000 per positive patient, right? And then you're getting 30K for everybody. Let's say, let's just, we'll, we'll box them together for, for the sake of the argument. Like, if they're on the vet or if they, or if they, you know, expire from COVID, like, right. that's a lot of money. Hell yeah. 
And imagine That's- with those incentives, what kind you know, when you got nefarious people working behind the scene, how much more incentive they have to, you know, like, let's say somebody gets into a car accident or a mo- motorcycle accident, test positive, but they put him right, right on events, you know, and keep him on there and sedate you- him to keep him on. And then he dies well- because he's on an event and malpractice and they cover it up because nobody can research into it. Nobody can do autopsies. You know, it's just- nobody can ask questions. Yep. You can't be around. Them. Did you guys see the Marco Rubio tweet that came out a couple hours ago where he was talking about Florida and how he said that there's, I think, I think it was 5,400 COVID patients in Florida, which is still not a lot by the rest of the standards of the country. But he even said all those people that are COVID positive in the hospital, they are not in there for COVID. They're in there because they're having babies yep. because they're because they're having elected surgeries and they pop top for COVID. So <laughs> like it's still not COVID positive people going for COVID. It's people that went for elected surgeries or pregnancies or something else. That's insane, man. That's insane. Well, then you have some of these psychopaths that that are on the other side that, you know, if, if you come in and you're unvaccinated, they're going to like, I mean, they may even try to give you worse treatment. Like, Oh, well, you know, you don't, you're not a, you're not a priority because you're unvaccinated, like that kind of shit. I I I dealt with it myself going to the hospital the doctor's office with my kid. Um, Yeah. Me too. They're horrendous. Like I had to take my son to the emergency room. I told guys he broke his wrist. And it was a fucking battle just to get through to the doctor to not wear a mask. One, my kid won't let me wear a mask. He keeps ripping it off. Two, my son's arm and wrist is broken. Like, what are we arguing about? You guys are you guys are jabbed. You guys are masked. You got you've got everything, and we can keep our distance. Handle my kid. Mm-hmm. It works or it yep. doesn't. Exactly. Well, I mean, we were, but even before the, all this popped off, like we we had to switch to, uh, pediatricians because like we weren't getting our kids vaccinated on their schedule. Yo, oh, you, yeah, same. They I kicked us call, out. Same. I had to call like six or seven different doctors just to accept my son to get like mm-hmm. a little a physical before his um Montessori school. Finally got a doctor that doesn't care, you know, that doesn't ask questions because we never need to take him to the doctor. He doesn't get vaccinated. He doesn't, you know, it, we just needed like, you know, little letters. No, they're like feral oh. animals. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he can go to school. That's it. But man, it was raising Vikings. Exactly. <laughs> but man, it's, it's crazy out there right now. And then, you know, like the, the offices are like, well, you know, after I'm getting into a back and forth, they're like, well, our ideology is you, we must, and everybody must be vaccinated. And then they, then some told me that you must be vaccinated for COVID as a parent if you want your son to be a patient here and he must have his whole schedule be up to date. I'm like, y'all. Well, what I've been trying to get people to wrap their heads around is like, you know how we're saying vaccinated, unvaccinated, like it's wordplay, right? So why don't we just call it what it is? All right. Unvaccinated is black people. Vaccinated is white people and have the same conversation and see how quick it changes. OK, yeah. that doesn't work for you. Why don't we say Jews and Germans? Right. Exactly. Because as soon as you have these conversations that we are having together collectively as a group and you just change the word of the of of vaccinated, unvaccinated and put it into this, your whole perspective switches. And if it does it at this point, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. And sure, sure are. And, uh, you know, Dr. Malone actually uh, talked about some of those things like being killed by gunshot. And then going to the hospital and tested positive for mm-hmm. COVID and, and some of the monies that went into that. Let's hear the next clip as he kind of elaborates on that. Hospitalist, I'm not a hospital administrator. But the, the numbers are quite large. There's something like a $3,000 basically death benefit to a hospital 
if it can be claimed to be COVID. There's a financial incentive to call somebody COVID positive. The CDC made a determination in year one. This is why all of our baseline data is junk. What is the financial incentive to say that they're COVID positive? The, That's why the PCR cycles are ramped up so high? I, the, I, I, again, you're asking causation. Right. I, I can tell you that there, the hospitals receive a bonus from the government. I think it's like 3000 bucks if someone is hospitalized and able to be declared COVID positive. They also receive a bonus. I think the total is something like 30000 in incentive if somebody gets put on the vent. Then they get a bonus if somebody is declared dead with COVID. COVID okay? So mm -hmm. they have an incentive at the front end to declare somebody COVID, a COVID case. The CDC made a determination that they, they were going to make a core assumption if PCR positive and you die, that is death due to COVID. And so the, the extreme example, just to, to show the absurdity, um, if the patient comes in with a bullet hole to the head um, and they do a nose swab and they come up PCR positive, they're determined to have died from COVID when in fact they died though? from lead poisoning. That's real? Yeah. So they've really done that with gunshot victims, car I don't know about, yeah, victims. yeah, for, for sure, trauma and other things. I've seen that said, but I've always thought that's ridiculous. There's I think no the joke. It's, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not a question of what hospital would do. It's a question of med codes. So the code is set that if you swab that person and you are, you're supposed to swab them. And, and you get a positive signal. And the are you person, obligated to swab them no matter who they are if they come in with an injury? I believe it's the common practice. I don't know whether the, whether there would be an obligation that would be a hospital by hospital policy statement. So that it really is true that if someone has a gunshot wound and they're dying of that gunshot wound and you check them for COVID and if they're COVID positive and they die, they marked it off as a COVID death. That is a that is by definition from the CDC. That was a decision that was made early on. Mm. It's crazy to convenient. hear that. Yeah, extremely it, convenient. Yeah, well, like like we've all been saying, we've been screaming this from the rooftops for 18 to 24 months, and we're just crazy people. But like anybody that could pick up, it was perfect today. One of my guys, and he's a scientist at the military base we were talking about, he's a chemist. And, you know, he said to me, he's like, oh, God, you know, if you ever want anybody to do data analysis, like scientific data analysis for, for, your, for your show, you know, to look it over and to check on certain things and all that other stuff, I'll do it. And I'm like, all right, great. Super smart guy. Him and a group of scientists have actually recreated the sun like as an electricity they, they, their thing wow. was it's not gas it's electric and they have done many like models and have recreated the sun right so i'm like oh great but one of the most intelligent things he said he's like you don't have to be a scientist to read data right exactly he's like you don't have to you don't have to be you know uh classically trained to be able to read a book right so it doesn't mean that you're uneducated just because you don't have the same degree to me. Because like he said, he's like, I got all these degrees and I work and I'm a chemist and I make things go boom and everything else. But he's like, you're just as well knowledgeable on a lot of, you know, subjects that we speak about. And, you know, me, I barely got through high school. Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. That's a great point. Like, you don't have to have a PhD to understand statistics and, and to read data. Yeah. So when only until COVID came around, you know, it, it's ridiculous. And then well, all of a sudden, everybody calls you a YouTube scientist. Yeah. Right? And then all of a sudden, you yeah, need yeah, to be an Facebook expert to even cast disparaging <laughs> like, thoughts on an expert. Yeah. What was that now? I'm sorry, you cut out. Oh, it's like now you have to uh, be a, be an actual scientific expert in order to even cast a disparaging remark towards a scientific expert. And the CDC 
and CNN and everyone every day makes you know that they're even bigger idiots as you can think of being scientists. Yep. Yeah. Right. Because they've walked everything back. Everything. Every single like we were talking about like over break. How much stuff did Fauci and what was the other person's name? I forget what you Rochelle, said. Rochelle Walensky. Yes. Okay. How much stuff have they walked back that we have been saying for 18 months? I know it's insane. And then they like so one of the big things is like, you know, they're talking about the PCR test, right? Since he, you know, he was one of the creators of the PCR test. And I know I'm pretty sure he's been fighting with Fauci not to use the PCR test for HIV as well, because yep. he worked on that, worked on Ebola. He's like, you spin it enough, it's gonna find any viral load. Mm -hmm. So the more you spin it, it's gonna it, it's sensitive. It will pick up that stuff, right? So one of the arguments I'm having, you know, with our local school board, just you know, mm -hmm. trying to start local and change it from the ground up, like they tell you, grassroots, all this stuff, right? I said to the last one, I go, well, as of I think it was October, the lab leaks from the CDC said that they will no longer use the PCR test for emergency use. Right. So that was as of January. So what are what are they testing everybody with now? If the CDC said we're no longer using that test because it's not really reliable, so we're not going to use it. But now my kids still have to use the PCR test to go back to school. That's, They're doing that to the military, too. So if, if you're an unvaccinated uh, service member who has to go in for whatever reason, go on a facility, they're going to rapid test you. And if you test positive on the rapid test and you have to go to a medical facility and get a PCR test, which yeah. is like we just said. Null and void. Exactly. Yeah. So what is the test? Nobody can give you an answer. And that's the problem. It's in such this gray area right now that they want you to comply, 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 but they want you to comply with stuff that is known not to work and it's still not the standard, but now it's whoever standard they want to make up. They've really muddied these waters for you to like pretty much do whatever you want and shut up, pay your taxes and get in line. Yeah. Well, and it's like you shouldn't be able to walk around now these days knowing exactly what we know. And say you're on a government facility of some kind and you see a, a sign posted up that says you only have to social distance if you're fully if you're not fully vaccinated. <laughs> Silly. I know like, like, what we say before, like what? if you change those words to black and white, you'd yeah. be like, oh, my God, yep. what is going on? Where's the water fountains? <laughs> <laughs> right. Give me some, give me <laughs> some seats. Well, I think one of the things in addition to the gray area with the testing and then the hospital incentives that also falls into the gray area, like Dr. Malone says, was the killing of early treatments and alternative therapeutics. Uh, one of the, the major ones being hydroxychloroquine. He talked about uh, Dr. Zelenko and, uh, you know, the, the team of doctors and, and government officials who helped try to kill that narrative early on and really kind of demonized it at the uh, onset of the pandemic. Yeah, well, I mean, McCullough said it too, right, Dr. McCullough? Yeah, and, uh, you know, we'll have a clip from that now. Let's hear Dr. Malone kind of weigh in on that. Uh, okay. Deb Zelenko, who's a buddy, uh, the guy that came out with the original protocol, the Zelenko protocol, and was the one, by the way, that wrote the letter uh -huh. to um, uh, to Trump advocating for hydroxychloroquine. Okay, kind of important to put that together. He's put together a great little video clip in which he clearly documents the conspiracy between Janet Woodcock and Rick Bright to make it so that physicians could not administer hydroxychloroquine 
outside of the hospital. And who, who is Janet Woodcock and who's Rick Bright? Rick Bright was the head of BARDA, of BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research Directorate, which is the group that, for instance, funded the J&J vaccine and Operation Warp Speed, et cetera. So they're the big ticket funder in health and human service of, of biodefense products. And who is she? Janet Woodcock um, was head of Operation Warp Speed for drugs yep. and uh, until very recently head of the FDA. She is uh, known as the person who kind of gets the um, credit, let's say, uh, for the opioid crisis for her role at the FDA. So between the two of them, was there was some sort of a concerted effort to suppress the use of hydroxychloroquine? Rick Bright, in, in videotaped testimony, has explicitly spoken about how they conspired to cook an, a strategy using emergency use authorization to make it so that hydroxychloroquine could only be administered in the hospital, which, by the way, is too late for when hydroxy should be used. And why did they do that? That is what is the unknown, and, and there are so many whys and hows behind this. I like to say there's a stack of stuff that doesn't make sense. It's about this high. Mm. Um, now, there is – I can't prove. I can't get into Rick's head. I know Rick quite well. Um, I don't know what – he's currently working for the Rockefeller. Um, he did a whistleblower case, and then he left the government. But um, – all I know is they did this, and Rick admits on it on videotape that he did it. So, you know, I, I had mentioned, I think a show or two ago, that I felt like a big whistleblower for a lot of this stuff was coming forward. I, I, I feel like Dr. Malone is probably part of the start of it, but I do mm -hmm. think there's going to be some people within the FDA and the CDC and the NIH who are going to be coming forward as especially when we head into, you know, the midterm seasons and the numbers are looking really bleak for the Dems in, in, in regards to holding the House and losing the Senate. You know, they're right. going to they're, they're know they're going to be putting all of these committees together, and why not just privately and anonymously start blowing the whistle instead of getting called before congressional and House hearings under testimony next January? Well, go ahead. No, 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 I was just saying I agree. Well, all right, a couple issues I got. So <laughs> I don't care. Like, what does it even mean anymore? Mean anymore to be called in front of the Senate or the Congress committee? Because Fauci's lied literally under oath. We've all seen him lied, and there's no repercussions. But they're calling Roger Stone and all those guys for January six. So there's a two tier system right there. We can all say, right? Yeah. Okay. Then the other thing is, is like these people should come forward because if 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 anybody does find their balls eventually. The every everything that's going on right now are war crimes. Yeah, oh, yeah. most. This is are. under the Nuremberg Code. Like they are committing. There's a reason that was written. Right. Okay. And everybody that's complicit, down to the board of ed people that are going. I'm just doing. My hands are tied. I'm just doing what you know. I was told. Like they walked those two people through the camps after the war. Okay. So. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know it sound it could sound crazy, but like at this point, this is where we're at. Nobody ever thought that there was going to be forced this forced that we were at this for two years, all this other stuff. And now that you're seeing the highest ups of the highest ups be complicit to hide stuff that could help the public for financial gain. I don't know what's more sleazier and evil than that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Probably there. probably ignoring it. 
Yep. Are they, that's the whole thing. Like at this point with all the information, all the data and how intelligent these people are, it's or, not ignoring or claim to be. This yeah. was per. This is purposely it. done. Yeah, it's, it's being complicit. And I think one of the things that's also being it's scary, it's sad and scary. For sure. Very much so. One of the things that's also being purposely done is the complete blind eye that's being given to, uh, you know, a lot of the side effects, adverse effects and deaths that are attributed to the vaccine. Um, go ahead. I was telling, I don't know if I told you guys before the show, one of my, one of my good training buddies, his mom got his booster and was dead within 24 hours. And that was right before Christmas. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. So, and he, and he, you know, he's a union guy. He was double vaxxed to keep his job, to work on these government things. And, you know, he was like, he, you know, he still doesn't, He's like, they, they killed my mother. And like the doctor is trying to put on the death certificate and something else. And he's like, you, you killed my mother. Like, like it, it, there's no way for answer butts around it. She was healthy. Otherwise he needs to fight that. Though. Yeah, he sure well, does. I know it's, it's still, it's still very uh, fresh. So I don't want to poke prod or interject right. too much stuff on him. Like, you know, he's called me, he's reached out to me cause he knows like how we talk and what we do and how right. we look for information. So he has reached out to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's a fighter too. So he, I, I don't foresee him foresee him doing this, you know? So, but I mean, it's sad that you have to lose your mother. And I mean, she wasn't old. She was young. He's not that old, you know, like she, it wasn't like she was 80 and getting the booster or 70. She might even not even been in 60, maybe her fifties. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. you know, and she was working in the healthcare. She was working with disabled kids and she was trying to protect the kids because that's what they're feeding down your throat. She got her one and she got her two and then she got her third. And that was third time of the charm was for her, you know, and it's sad. Yeah. Oh, so heartbreaking. It is. It, 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 like, it hurts my soul to see that happen to good people that we love and care about, you know? It sure does. I, I think, uh, you know, the whole discussion about, the vaccine side effects and deaths is something that's 100%ly uh, skirted under the table. Uh, Dr. Malone weighed in in the next clip we're going to hear on that exactly. So let's kind of see where they went with that one. My position is that people should have the freedom to choice of choice, particularly for their children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in order to, can, to uh, appropriately choose to participate in a medical experiment, they have to be fully informed of the risks as well as the benefits. And so I've tried really hard to make sure that people have access to the information about those risks and potential benefits, the true unfiltered academic papers and raw data, et cetera. And the policy that's being implemented is one in which no discussion of the risks are allowed because by definition, they will elicit vaccine hesitance. So it can't be discussed. But that's the fundamental background. That's the backbone of informed consent. Mm-hmm. So informed consent is not only not happening, it's being actively blocked. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's unprecedented. <clears throat> I mean, I, I can't recall a time ever where people weren't able to discuss the side effects of medication, whether or not the studies are accurate, whether or not people should universally take these things or whether it should be done on a person by person basis this is a it's a very strange time and so when someone who's an expert like yourself has a dissenting opinion and you see that dissenting opinion immediately silenced or or at least immediately criticized and then these attempts at silencing it 
it, it just it just signifies how confusing and how troubled the times we're in are. Mm. Pretty interesting. I think it just goes back to like what I said. They're doing this on purpose, and that makes it even more sick. Yeah, well, for sure. It's like it, it goes along with their whole depop agenda experiment. Yep. And, you know, it's so mm -hmm. many layers, so many agendas upon agendas and money, you know, it's a, it's a fucking <sighs> money. Now, now, Garrett, have you used any uh, alternative alternative treatments at all uh, since the start of COVID? Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, anything like that? Besides my uh, superior DNA, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, my my wife had it. Um, you know, they. This is what, like, you know. I mean, obviously, I was like, you know, off this train before it even started. I knew what they were doing. I said it to one of my local officials two days before they closed us. I'm like, they're finally making their move. They're going to make their power grab. Watch how hard it's going to be to get any of our rights back. And he was like, Yeah, I'm a little nervous about that too. And I was like, I wish I was wrong, but. Like she got it. And one of the eye opening things for me was like, OK, we have three little kids. I'm healthy. The kids are healthy. She was sick. And they go, go home and take over the counter cold med and hang out with your family. Yeah. I was like, what? The most deadliest virus in the world. And you're like, don't quar go quarantine at your house with your with your children, with your toddlers and infants. No big deal. They said the same thing to my dad. He's he's uh, 62. Mm -hmm. And he had pneumonia when COVID started and then he got COVID maybe this year. Um, mm -hmm. Well, this past year. And the doctor said, go home and take some Motrin and some Tylenol, you know, and yep. chill. And he's like, what? You know, he's like, he's like all like paranoid because he's like old school. Yep. He wants to trust the doctors. And he's like, go mm -hmm. home. And I'm I, like, I know it, it was mind blowing, but I will say, because you don't want to put down, me on a ventilator. I know. I know exactly. exactly. I'm like, Dad, stay away from the fucking doctor. They're going to kill you. <laughs> I know. Well, that was the thing, too. We, I, I sat down with Dr. Sahid Hader and he's, you know, he does the ivermectin and stuff. So I've gotten a lot of my friends that stuff and they've taken the early treatments and the ATQ and they all did well with it. Um, you know, but I also know a lot of people that like they didn't know they had COVID. And the only thing they knew was because they lost their taste and smell. And that's the only way they would have ever knew that they didn't feel bad. They didn't like anything else. It was just boom, something like that. So, yeah. you know, Know, these things do work, but I, you know, like I said, I sat down with him. I actually had the honor to sit down with Dr. McCullough before he was on Rogan. We, yep. Me and James sat down with him that Saturday. We didn't have to have, we got basically the cliff notes of the Joe Rogan experience nice. in like 15, 20 minutes. But, you know, everything he was saying too is like, you know, it's like anything else. If there's early treatments, there is no justification for the emergency use of these, of these death darts. So like, that's why they have to keep this narrative going because everybody forgets that like, this isn't FDA approved. It's under the EU. So yeah. like none of this stuff would be happening if all those treatments were available. Right. Yeah. I definitely think it's uh one thing that a lot of people don't take into consideration. And then for as many people as there are like us, there's so many more that are just sheeping it to this whole narrative like it's either a combination of like i'm gonna let the government do whatever they want and take care of me or i just don't want to be bothered and want to be able to do whatever i want so i'm gonna just i'm gonna buy every rapid test from cvs <laughs> so i have i have a pretty good analogy for this and i don't you hear me out on this kids if you're listening which you probably aren't cover your ears okay so it's the adult version of finding out santa claus isn't real <laughs> <laughs> It is. Everybody's lying to you. Your bus driver, Macy's, the the your grandma, the barista that asked you for your whole entire passport. life. 
lied to you and now you get slapped in the face and then all of a sudden you go holy shit tooth fairy's not real holy shit easter bunny's not real and then all <laughs> of a sudden you're like my whole life is a lie since i was like you know zero to eight or ten or however old you were when you find all that shit out right <laughs> it's the adult version nobody wants to admit it well, I, I like that i like that analogy that's solid <laughs> I mean, it's like you can't put in any more simpler. Like, for example, we have a friend of ours, double jabbed, just had COVID. Mom's sick as hell. This, this and that. And she goes, I think I'm going to get my booster. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. And, and, and like her and her husband is a smart dude, engineer, works at one of the military engineer. Like, and it's like, what is wrong? Like, what? Like, what is your justification at this point? You're, you're just quadrupling down on stupidity. I, yeah, well, I found I find that have found during all this that some of the most supposedly educated people are actually the most fucking retarded. Yeah. When it comes to I, thinking. Well, it's street smarts and book smarts. Yep. It's that that age old debate that we've always had. Would you rather be street smart or book smart? Right. Well, it's indoctrination, too, because when you're that intelligent, well, you know, book smart, you're yep. also most likely indoctrinated and you look down and frown upon those people that don't have a a shiny diploma to like, you know, well, that's a great point because I've said it on our show as well as like those people have been in doctor the longest because they've been in the education process the longest. So if you're a doctor, you've been in the, the indoctrination eight years longer than somebody, you know, or even 12 years longer than somebody ju that just graduated high school. Right. And even when I was in high school, I wasn't buying your bullshit. So I was harder <laughs> to indoctrinate. Right. And you just love the people that are supposedly the most like well-versed on all this stuff. And, and you just listen to them and like, they're still parroting the same nonsensical. I mean, there's really, mm -hmm. there's nothing dumber than saying that, well, the vaccine is actually, uh, it does provide some protection. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I can go out in the fucking freeway with a trash can lid and it's going to provide some protection. Like, <laughs> dude, well, this is what data? I'm saying. Where's your data? Moving the, they keep moving the goalposts, yes. right? Yeah. My goalpost hasn't moved once since day one. Yeah. Can't. 100%. Can't. I, my stance has not changed. Where I stand, how I roll, what I've been saying has been true. Now, has there been little tweaks and stuff because we're learning more information? Yeah. Yes, but that's but that's pivoting and moving and, and making, you know, game time decisions. You're adapting but, and evolving. But our goalpost hasn't moved. Right. The mass, we say it's bullshit. It's bullshit, right? They're saying it's bullshit. We said that, whatever. My goalposts didn't move there. Jabs are hurting people. Goalposts didn't move there. Jabs don't stop it. Goalposts didn't move there. And you're still alive. Imagine yeah, that. I know. And I'm still alive to talk about it. It's amazing. <laughs> and, it's funny, and, I, and I wrestle humans for a living. Holy right. <laughs> 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 Me too, sometimes. If, if COVID was so bad, right, why aren't people dying at home? <laughs> on the streets you know obvious the obvious one but uh -huh. i know it, it's the where you know where people are dying in the hospital mm -hmm. from the hospital well, yeah. well we just found out there's a very monetary incentive to do that because yeah. think about it and i was just even adding up those numbers right so if from start to finish if somebody comes in you get three grand for them to test positive you get 30 grand for them to and i, I you know what sickens me how they were calling it bonuses yeah, like you did a good job that's yep. your bonus Right. So then that's thirty three thousand dollars. And then they said they got another bonus if they expired. Right. Mm -hmm. So one person could be worth. I don't know. They didn't say how much the expire was, but let's say you're giving 30 for for event. They're probably giving another 20 for a death. So each person costs about 60 K. 
Yeah, at least. And then imagine, though, when they're put on the vent, they, they're keeping them sedated. So many people <laughs> didn't need to be put on, right. on the mm-hmm. vent. So they're keeping them sedated and all that revenue is still coming in, you know, from um, whatever, you know, from the federal government and, and whatnot. And I don't know if you guys are aware too. like, so like a lot of people they were putting on the vent, like we said, they didn't need to be on the vent. And then if you've ever been on a ventilator or had a breathing thing, like they have to wean you off and they weren't weaning people off. Like I have nurses and stuff that train with me and they're like, bro, some funky's going on here. And they're like, you're supposed to wean people off. And they were just ripping people off the vents because like, Oh, grandma was 80. Like the movie. What's that? You don't just yank the extension cord out. Like, (laughs) no, no. Well, that's what you would think. Right. But like they weren't weaning people off. So they were ripping them because grandma's 78 and she's probably going to die anyway. So put it on, put it on to one of us that have a better chance and our kids are little and put us on it. But then also the, what was it? The, the Ebola medication that they were using that Fauci was in front of too. That basically shuts down your kidneys. And then, you 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 back up with fluid and everybody who was really dying on the vet their lungs were turning into double pneumonia so they were triggering what was happening and making it worse so the treatment they were giving you were was killing you yeah. well they're solidifying your death by adding the remdesivir then you know the ventilator and keeping mm-hmm. you treated and and not weaning you off so it was like you really had no chance of coming off unless you had somebody on the side really advocating and watching you know your back and even in those cases out. they would be stonewalled a lot of times by the yeah. hospitals and and things of that nature you unless know, you're a member of congress well there you go well they just get ivermectin <laughs> don't worry about that yeah. Um, they get the get the goods from the start. Yeah, they they get ivermectin, and so do all the illegals crossing the border. So you don't have to worry about that. I think uh, Dr. Malone kind of uh, in our last clip from the interview, you know, framed it nicely on how exactly we got here and what he, uh, you know, thought of the whole situation in regards to all the people who just can't wrap their brains around what's really going on. Um, you know, in a in a phrase that's now been coined, the mass formation psychosis. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on that whole narrative right now as we uh, wrap up this segment. Mm-hmm. Basically, European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. Mm. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um, and how did that happen? Um, the answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety and a sense that things don't make sense. We can't understand it. And then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis. They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. And one of the aspects of that phenomena is the people that they identify as their leaders, the ones typically that come in and say, you have this pain and I can solve it for you. I and I alone, okay, can fix this problem for you, okay? Then they will lead, they will follow that person through, it doesn't matter whether they lie to him or whatever. The data are irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked. They are the other. <clears throat> this is central to mass formation psychosis. And this is what has happened. We had all those conditions. If you remember back before, 2019, everybody was complaining, the world doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. Um, And we're all isolated from each other. We're all on our little tools. We're not connected socially anymore, except through social media. Um, And then this thing happened and everybody focused on it. That is how mass formation psychosis happens. Well, pretty uh, clear cut and dry right there to see how 
highly educated people across the world can kind of buy into this whole, you know, narrative and pandemic thing. And, and well, you think about what it did for Germany. Well, think about the Germans, right? These are the people that like created some of like the best technological things we've ever seen, even before, you know, we got them in operation paperclip. Right. But like, the, the BMW, everything. So they're not stupid people. They're engineers, they're mechanics, they're data driven people. And they were taken by it. Americans at this point are stupid as shit. So mm-hmm. they're a lot easier to just, all right, common cold, you're going to die. Okay. I'm going to die because I'm fat. I don't eat right. Can't breathe. Early FCOPD at the age of 20, you know, like haven't seen my dick in 10 years. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but it's really, it's really interesting though, because I've said this so many times too to my friends. It's like, no matter what you say, no matter what you show, the data, even their own people telling now walking shit back. And like, even the, the CDC website showing certain statistics and facts that they cite themselves, the people that are brainwashed, it's like they're under a spell. Literally. Hundred, yeah, and it, it's it's kind of scary sometimes because you're like, whoa, you you you're completely you're a goner. Are you that far? Yeah, are are you are you irrecoverable? Yeah, exactly. It's like there are people. I honestly, it's sad to say, but they're they're lost forever. They're gonna hold on to this well, there, life no matter. There what. is a word for that. It's called natural selection, and we've kept those idiots alive by having a soft world for many years. Yeah. That's really what it comes like. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's the only way I know how to talk. I'm sorry. So like I I, I don't have time for bullshit because life's too short. So we have to be to the point. Right. Yeah. I know you guys are. But for anybody listening. Yeah, I'm a I'm I'm heartless sometimes. Okay, but it's it's not heartless. It's realistic. Like those people wouldn't have survived either way. Right. Right. But we've made life so soft that they are able to survive and leech off of the strong. But now you're trying to kill all the strong and everything else. Like you're going to go eventually too. Right. If you're taking the people that you're riding the coattails off. Yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like you want to tax the people that you're riding the coattails off the most. You want it. The, the, the um, physically, mentally strong people. You want to beat them down to like, I say it all the time. Like we talked about this a little bit on unicorn and this kind of ties into this is like, like you could believe you're a unicorn. Right. That's your God given right. But don't ask me to live in your delusion. That's not fair to me. And it's the same thing that's happening right now. We know the facts. We're seeing the stuff put out there, but you're still asking me to live in your delusional world. I don't want to. No, it's like when I, you know, I talked about last week, I was the only person in the mat without a mask at the grocery store. And I literally just see all these people looking at me and in my head, I'm like, Hey, the water's nice over here. In normal reality, <laughs> you know, it's not that bad. So it, it's 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 pretty good over here. And guess what? Still alive. Uh, I know. It's, it's but just, they're scared. Like there, yeah. there's some people that are so scared with all the information out there that they're terrified. But this is the problem, too. We're letting the cowards lead. Yes. Yes, that's, we certainly are. That's the point. We're letting the cowards lead in every aspect. And like, I don't need followers. We need leaders. Yep. Yeah. And nobody's a leader. People are scared to lead or it's just designed. So there really is no strength in the true leader. Right. And if you do, then you're a domestic terrorist. So it is. What oh, it there is. you go. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't forget about being one of those. <laughs> yeah. Diagnation, domestic terrorist. I haven't That's called one of those today. <laughs> right. Like I got a T-shirt from Justin from Cannabis Camp. It's a sweet T-shirt. Nice. 
Well, yeah, yeah. Garrett, we like, know we, we we know you got a cut. You got a class getting ready to get going, and uh, you know this has been awesome having you jump on the show with us today. We we of course would love to pre-invite you back to uh, come do the news with us again at some time in the future, and then hopefully get together with with you guys on your show. Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they could find the podcast and then your social medias? Oh, awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you. Everybody having me. It was so much fun. You know, I listen to you guys. You guys do great work. So um, where can you find us? Really nowhere. We're shadow banned everywhere. So um, <laughs> we're not allowed to post on YouTube for another couple of weeks. So check us out at Rumble. Rumble is a cool spot to check us out. Uh, Spotify, we're on Amazon, Google Podcasts, and then uh, Sergeant Samurai. Sergeant Samurai 2.0 on IG. And then you can find us on Facebook, but it's a little hard. So just do some digging, kids. Yeah, to do a little bit of research, go find these guys. It's an amazing show, and uh, we'll live link all of your uh, social medias in the podcast in our show description today. We'll send it over to you in a few hours, and you can share it if you want. I always do. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that's Garrett, one of the hosts of uh, Sergeant and Samurai Podcast. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. So after that interview with Joe Rogan, Dr. Malone sat down with Christy Lee and Christy Lee TV over the weekend to talk about, you know, some of the fallout from it in addition to a couple other things. I think one of the things they really didn't get into enough of during the Rogan interview, um, but he did elaborate here, was part of the uh, great global reset aspect of the pandemic and the globalist totalitarian vision that's kind of being, you know, cast out across the the world right now. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on that angle and see what, uh, you know, his take is on that. The other thing for me has been um, the the personal journey of of coming to terms with what the World Economic Forum really represents. Mm. And and I really resisted that. You know, I was people initially were coming to me talking about the Great Reset. I was like, oh, this crazy talk. See, (laughs) you know, that sounds like a conspiracy. It sure sounds like a conspiracy. Yeah. Great reset. Yeah, but then it's all documented. And then you see it being deployed. Mm. And uh, a group of Canadians on a podcast the other day sent me some links from WEF to a a site. This is one of the last things I tweeted before. Um, (laughs) uh, And and it had an extremely detailed map of all of the policy positions and the actions that the WEF was taking for a huge range of topics, not the least of which is COVID-19. And it's kind of a, 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 it's, it's a public document that clearly states everybody that's in our little clique, in our club, these are the things that we will think, these are the things that we will say, this is how we will act. And that one was kind of like the icing on the cake. That was, that was a, oh, here it is. You know, this is, they're proud of it. Mm-hmm. They don't hide it. This is this is the vision. It is a full on globalist totalitarian vision yeah. um, with the money in control. And and uh, the whole. I did a lot of political science when I was an undergraduate in the early 80s, and I had read things like about books about um, transnationalism in the New World Order. I found that fascinating, but confusing. How, how could how could this possibly happen? And now to see it playing out in real time and uh, in a way in which national sovereignty governments are increasingly irrelevant. Um, yeah, uh, that's 
you know, that's the thing that folks got to wake up about. This is not about the vaccine. And, and I think a lot of that, you know, uh, narrative right there stems from the part where he's talking about international governments becoming irrelevant. He, he's basically saying, like, you know, entities like the CDC and the FDA and OSHA could mandate something that will cost your kids an education, can cost you your job, could, will cost you your service in the in the armed forces and, and things like that. I think that, that that's what he's kind of alluding to and how, you know, the government really doesn't uh, necessarily portray that big of a, you know, even though the mandates would come from there, it's how they're enacted and which agencies are enacting them is when you have to talk about, like, the severity of it. Right. Well, you know, so so that was his take on, on the global reset when he sat down with uh, Christie on InfoWars over the weekend. I, I think one of the, the funnier portions in our, our last clip of, of this Dr. Malone segment that we're going to do before we bring in uh, Vish Burra, he's jumped into the waiting room right now, is when he talked about how hard he's red-pilled since the start of the pandemic. I think the answer will probably garner a <laughs> laugh. And that's a really hopeful message going into the new year is that um, there's a growing cohort of people that are increasingly aware of how thoroughly we've been manipulated. So you'd say you've been red pilled? Uh, in like multidimensional red pill. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I thought I was red pilled. You know, I, I, well, I, I've been on the inside for so long and seen Tony Fauci's machinations for so long. It's how, I, you know, I, my, that's my origin story was the initial AIDS crisis starting in 83 mm. when I was at Davis. And um, so I saw the hardball politics. Well, can't get more red-pilled than multidimensional, right? I feel like that's pretty far down the red, <laughs> red pill level. On the red pill spectrum, there was a spectrum of like frowny faces and smiley faces. That would be like what the, the twirly eyes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but imagine like him being the person that he is. You know, the academic that he is. You know, the inventor of this technology, and just now realizing that all he had to do was read the WEF. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Great Reset Plan, and it's right in your fucking face. And, and, like, and you, you know, he's he's the first one to admit it too. He talks about. On all of these shows, and it's been one of the narrative I, I heard him talk about on War Room, you know, he's a doctor, he's a scientist, and for decades he just went to work with his fucking head down and did his thing, what he was supposed to do. But you can't really live inside that bubble when, you know, you have your hands on something that could literally change the world. The technology he invented, I think at some point, will, uh, you know, already has had some real life-changing, world-changing things with it, but I, I definitely think, you know, it's one of those things where you've, wake up and then you start seeing all of these things you realize or didn't realize was there. That's when, uh, you know, I guess the multidimensional red pilling starts, uh, to take its effect. I like it. Oh, definitely. Either that or he said these edibles were going to be shit in five minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're, we're in talks with Dr. Malone's people right now and, and are finalizing with Dr. Zelenko, who's a, a been a great strong partner of him. Uh, in the future, we'll reach out to Peter McCullough as well, and we'll try to make sure that these guys, you know, get through the show and, and, and give a little bit more, you know, now that we've broken down some of the uh, broad talking points, maybe some specifics. Maybe I'd, maybe we want to hear some more stuff about Dr. Fauci in the 80s or what's really yeah. going on at the FDA and the CDC and the NIH and, uh, you know, just about 
you know, some of the technology that is in this uh, mRNA vaccine and, and, you know, maybe it's not been developed for things like COVID viruses. Maybe it's been developed to work on things like, you know, um, organ transplants and surgeries like Ryan Jardusky uh, alluded to. You know, he said in 20 years he could see mRNA technology helping with transplants and major organ surgeries. That's still, you know, a truth that's not yet to be told. But we'll have to see, like, you know, sometimes things are created for one thing and are used for other things, like evil. And uh, it kind of takes away from the fact, you know, we don't think Dr. Malone's evil for creating it, but how they weaponize it is definitely uh, something that, that can't be taken, you know, for granted. Well, it's like any technology, you know, like the Internet. You can use it for bad or for good. True story. So, all right, joining us first today on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he is the former producer of the War Room Pandemic. He's the vice president of the New York Young Republicans Club. And uh, joining us today for the first time, Mr. Vish Burra, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad uh, to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure, and uh, we're really glad to have you on. You've been uh, killing it lately, and uh, we wanted to get some, some takes on you. Uh, we want to give our listenership a little bit of background. Um, when we started talking online, you sent me a pretty interesting article Kind of reminded me of when uh, I started talking to Ian Smith, who's become, you know, one of our good friends and a great friend of the show. He's been on several times. I actually saw him in a tuxedo at that New York Young Republicans event a couple weeks ago. It's a big-ass tuxedo. It's a large tuxedo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still don't know if he had a bow tie on, though, because, you know, that beard. He did. Oh, he did. Uh, That beard, though, you'd never be able to tell. I just wouldn't bother if I was him. You know, I mean, I understand. I would have put the tie on the uh, the beard. (laughs) Oh, those little tie thing that he does? (laughs) Yeah. I like I w- it. I would I would have put a mini tuxedo on the beard itself. Ooh, that's a solid move. <laughs> I'm gonna have to text him later. Yeah. We, we've had some people try to challenge him. Josh Barnett. Why, why text when you can meme? There you go. Exactly. Can you make that for us? I can make that. Okay, there you go. Yeah, Josh Barnett, who was on with us a couple weeks ago, he's running an Arizona six. He he said he lifts more than Ian, so we're oh. hoping to see that at some point in the future, some kind of a lift off. It's a push off. Quite a quite a statement. That would be a show. Uh, let me know if they need a producer. Oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> Two of the largest men I've ever met. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so you sent me an article and it was kind of interesting to read a little bit of like a rough beginnings background before you got into politics. You want to talk about that with our listenership? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, uh, I dropped out of high school. Uh, I got kicked out of my first college. You know, I was kind of, uh, someone who never really got into the school system and, and, um, uh, my, and where I'm from in Staten Island is, you know, it's kind of a work, it's a working class neighborhood, multi-ethnic and, and, you know, every, in that situation that I was in, I, I just, um, you know, I saw my friends, this was the Obama years, you know, nobody really had jobs, you know, it was kind <laughs> of hard to find, you know, like a uh, good opportunity for everybody. You know, I was always kind of blessed with, with decent jobs, but, you know, not all my friends could, could do that. And so I, I sort of looked around, uh, you know, and thought about how I could, you know, lift this situation and also look out for myself. Um, and I started, you know, selling weed. And, um, that would eventually, you know, I would go to go on to have a huge sort of, you know, flow, almost two, $2 million a year operationally. Um, but that, uh, that all came to a head, uh, in 2014 when my house got raided for that. And, And, you know, it was a, it was a huge, uh, wake up moment for me because, you know, once that was all taken away, I, I had to do a little self-reflection, you know, about like what, who I am and, and what I can do and how I can contribute to society, you know, especially, you know, if I'm not doing this or, you know, doing something that's right, that's not going to have the, the cops knocking down my door, 
you know, and so I had a come to Jesus moment and, and realized that I need to be not only productive, um, but I need to be productive for the right reasons, you know, with the right attitude and the right outlook and vision on life. And so I was kind of like born again, you know, and, and, and I, I looked to better myself. I got into software from there and uh, I would go on to get like my dream job, you know, in the skyscraper in New York city, you know, and, and making six figures for like, you know, doing this like tech, this software job, this tech job. And I thought I had made it. I got that job in February, 2016. And, you know, once I, I thought I'd made it, you know, I thought I had achieved the dream, you know, I turn on my TV and Trump's running for president. And it seems that the world is starting to go crazy. <laughs> and that's, that's when I started paying attention to politics. And when all that happened and, you know, the whole election and the way it, it, it sort of unraveled, I realized I needed to do more than just vote and I needed to get involved. And so that's kind of where my activism started. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and that's, that kind of led me down the path to eventually, uh, take over the New York Young Republican club, uh, you know, go on to work for Steve Bannon. And then, um, uh, you know, now I work for Matt Gates on the Hill, uh, as well. So, you know, it's kind of just taken me exactly where I wanted to, to be. Uh, and I left a whole career in tech to, to kind of get involved in all that because that's how much I love this country. I love America and I wanted to do more than just vote. And so that's, you know, that's uh, now I live, eat and breathe politics. Yeah. Kind of an unintended insertion into politics, but definitely one that's benefited, you know, the conservative movement. I have to say bigly uh, as to quote. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. President Trump. And uh, we're going we're to talk about some of that stuff, definitely with the New York Young Republican Club in a bit. But I do want to touch on your time with War Room. Um, mm -hmm. why don't you talk about that whole experience? We've, we've had Raheem on and I talk to him pretty frequently and, uh, you know, he's a great guy, but I, I want to kind of get an insider's look at that, uh, the whole perspective of that dynamic of the show and, uh, you know, how important it is to kind of keep the Trump era policy narratives moving forward as we head, you know, into the, uh, midterm election season. Yeah, you know, so um, the war room is kind of what I what I consider like the the great one of the greatest examples of of a successful cultural insurgency. You know, um, uh, you essentially spin up this podcast overnight um, with obviously in partnership with Real America's Voice that allowed us to do things like you know get guests on multiple yeah. guests on at a time and all that and distribute to a TV audience with the video format, which is a key component, believe it or not, um, but, uh, you know, to, to the podcast. So, you know, that, um, when it started, you know, that's, that's my, that was my first political gig. You know, my mentor reaches out to me and says, Hey, um, my, you know, uh, Steve Bannon has an opening for a producer on his new podcast. Do you want to do it? Uh, and he offered that to me because he knew Steve Bannon was my favorite character in sort of the right wing universe, you know. And so I dropped everything that I was doing and, and went and did that. And and um, it was it was really cool to see it from, you know, obviously from the perspective of the producer there of, of the growth of the show from, you know, humble beginnings in war room impeachment to, you know, the day early in January when Steve runs down the stairs and he says, we're starting a new show. It's called war room pandemic. It's going to be about the coronavirus. It's going to be the biggest story ever. And, you know, start producing that from episode one, you know, and, and kind of 
watching the show grow to it's over a hundred million downloads now. And there were some key moments that, you know, um, during that time that, that led to the growth of the show. Um, you know, obviously, uh, one of the key moments, uh, to that was when, uh, Steve got arrested on the boat, you know, and then the next day when he gets back on air, you know, after he bails out, um, you know, the listenership jumped a lot. People were interested in what this guy had to say after he'd just been arrested. All right, not too surprising. Um, then we were kind of the primary source of the Hunter Biden laptop coverage, right? Which was still one of the, I think, one of the greatest, you know, one of the biggest political scandals, if not the biggest political scandal in American history. Agreed. And, you know, and we and we were not only at the, forefront of uh, uncovering that and investigating that and publicizing that through many channels but we on an everyday basis we were the place to go to for that and then that boosted the listenership like crazy and then uh the next sort of moment that that i was there for was you know the night of the election pretty much the moment that arizona was called by fox news um for biden was you know the listenership just jumped through the roof and or the, the viewership of the coverage that night I, people were done with fox news at that point and they were looking for anything else and war room just happened to be broadcasting right place right time with obviously one of the greatest minds and um you know po- political strategy with steve you know at the helm and you know that that sort of gave this major baseline this juggernaut of a baseline that, you know, would eventually go on to, you know, Steve being Steve's podcast, the war room being, you know, brought up in congressional hearings about its possible influence, you know? And so that's huge. Um, that's, that is, uh, you're taught, you know, you never have to walk into a CNN newsroom or an MSNBC newsroom to get your word out on MSNBC. MSNBC will just take clips of the war room and run them on their channels, you know? And so do you, you know, uh, if you wanted to create a wormhole to the primetime main mainstream media, you know, who would have thought that you, you making your own podcast would kind of offer that opportunity. And so that's sort of the, the innovation, I think, to the whole, to the whole scene. And, and now you're starting to see a lot more of that with more shows that are being uh, created um, and and sort of saturating that cultural space to further the Trump agenda and the the America First agenda, because if we don't do it, who will, right? And so that's the mentality you have to take, and that goes to you know not only doing the door knocking and and all the actual political operation of the stuff, but the, you know, the everything else, the entertainment aspects around it, you know, the cultural influence around it, um, you know, through shows, through movies, uh, you know, through uh, uh, news outlets like National Pulse and all right. that. So, you know, the, you have to, and, you know, you can expand further on that. We should have our own version of, you know, um, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, where we just label people communists, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and write a whole article about why they're a communist, you know, stuff like that. And so we need, and, and so that's, um, you know, that's kind of where my interests have been. You know, uh, I, I like to think of myself as a culture warrior, 
Um, but I, but I look for many different ways to make that a reality. And that'll be the club. That'll be you know war room and what, whatever else I can get my hands on. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with a lot of those points. I, I'm pretty sure Fish is talking about our podcast when he's talking about others getting out there. And oh, that goes without saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- thank you yes. for, for the compliment. <laughs> I mean, we're doing the best we can. We only had two former Trump administration officials on today before you jumped on with us, but we definitely uh, probably have to beg a whole lot more than uh, Steve or Matt do to get people on their podcast. Uh, but we get it. We get it done. We've we've had just about everybody. Uh, you know, and I'm going to talk about the New York Republican. Um, club here in a second but you know a lot of those great friends that we've made going through all this thing and and kind of evolving into where we were as something that talked about politics now is something that you know our show has really become like a a podcast version of political activism we try to find and have had on just about everyone who trump has endorsed moving forward although we we do take into consideration that doesn't always really mean anything but it definitely has a lot of weight And, uh, you know, some of the other ones who are out there who are really pushing the America First agenda, in addition to all those, you know, political uh, pundits who are really pushing some great narratives like Raheem, Peter Navarro, he's been on. Uh, Cash Patel was great when he was on. Amanda Milius has become a good friend of our show and someone that I talk to frequently. Love Amanda. Yeah, I love her as well. Well, And then then getting into that New York Young Republican, you know, I saw you gave a pretty fire speech at that event, but a lot of those people who were there are – I really want you to talk about the importance of the club and then like how important it is to, you know, getting everybody organized and onto the same page, not just at the event you have, but, but pretty much like, you know, overall the, what your guys agenda is. We saw people like, you know, Patrick Witt and Andrew McCarty have been on Raheem was there. Uh, Ian Smith was there. Amanda was there. And you know, there's so many people that have been on our show and, and that are important to this movement right now that are really, you know, neck deep in the, in the, getting this country back on, on the track. Talk about what, what, you know, you guys are doing down there at the club and, and how important it is to just get everybody organized and on the same page moving into the midterm season. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the, I mentioned how the war room is a great example of, you know, the cultural insurgency that's sort of necessary to further the movement. Um, but the club, the New York young Republican club is, is a sort of great example of another aspect of, you know, how I see political activism and culture war and all that. Um, and that is through, that is the, the infiltration of the institutions. Yeah. Right. And so, and so, uh, the New York young Republican club is a over a hundred year old club. It had traces its roots back to 1856. I mean, uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, in his campaign to the presidency, uh, actually gave a speech to, uh, our club back in 1856. It was the Young Men's Republican Union at that time, or something wow. like that. And so, and then at the first, when we once we were incorporated at our first gala, we had President Taft as uh, the guest, you know, of honor. And so, you know, the the there's a there's something there, right? When you uh, when you look at it, um, you know, let's say today where we stand now. Uh, you know, the difference between a TPUSA and TPUSA does great work. Right. Um, TPUSA, you know, is an organization that was spun up, you know, four or five years ago, six years ago or something like that. But very recently, you know, uh, they kind of do the same thing we do. But the difference is, is that we have, you know, over 100 years of prestige behind our brand. Right. And so that is kind of the separation. We can go and say, you know, we walk in the same, you know, we are walking the same shoes 
as you know our forefathers before us you know who are all the icons that you know we talk about today in history whether that's a lincoln whether that's a taft whether that's a john lindsay or a thomas dewey john foster dulles you know Murray rothbard um we've had these were all members of our club you know uh and so we can take we have we we can kind of you know for lack of a better word lord that over other people and say look you know we this institution is in our hands and it's it precedes us for a hundred years and it will exist a hundred years after us and right now we this institution is saying that the maga movement is the the future you understand what i'm saying so that's a we we are loading we are loading the idea that America first is the future with a hundred years of our prestige behind it. That's what, that's what makes it powerful. And so once, when we did that, when, when we, and then we took that brand and obviously we had to re revitalize and revamp it. When we got the club in April, 2019, Gavin Wax and I, Gavin Wax is the president of the club. I'm the vice president. Right. Um, we were the kind of like the two musketeers to start it all off. And uh, when we took over the club, we had about 60 members um, on the rolls. And now we're about to approach 1000 uh, in two years. So, um, you know, that required, obviously, uh, revitalizing and strategizing around how we approach social media and how we use that to leverage um, organization in real life. And so, uh, you know, we create and promote to a virtual group. And then we attempt to convert that into uh, actual organization on the ground in person. That's mostly what you see at events. And so once we organize those people in person, we get them at, at the events, we can then convince them to do other things, go volunteer on this campaign, go knock on these doors for these people, go get petitions for, for, for these folks or sign up these people, right? The, the, the hard part is first reaching out to them. Once you reach out to them, getting them to actually show up. And then once you get them to show up, going and getting them to do other things that will further the agenda, right? And so we so now that we've managed to organize a thousand members, it's, that makes us the largest country, the largest club in the country. We're also the oldest club, club in the country. Um, uh, now, you know, that allows us to, uh, you know, possibly to do affect other things. You know, we had a big hand in helping Ina Vernikoff win. She won, uh, she's a city councilwoman now, uh, from Brooklyn, but you know, um, that seat hasn't been won by a Republican for over a hundred years. And, you know, we were, you know, we were definitely instrumental in, in helping her win that seat. And she's she's a superstar herself. So, yeah. you know, uh, she did she did great work to obviously get to that position. But, you know, once you get into the nitty gritty of fighting over a few hundred votes, you know, uh, that's where a club like ours can come in and help, you know, uh, push you over the edge. And so that's kind of the approach that we've t taken to to go and take over the old clubs and the old institutions and revitalize, revamp them. And, and make them effective today to move the America first agenda specifically forward. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's the mission. And, and that's kind of like what the strategy is and how, and the New York young Republicans are a good example of that. Yeah, they sure are. It's good to get a little bit of historical background into 
to now really consider the fact that you guys are, are you know, rebranding yourself as the political gold standards for as far as clubs go. You and Gavin have done such an amazing job with it. And I definitely think it turns into the, you know, last question I want to talk to you about. And it goes down the lines of kind of political activism, but just more generically, we're, we're heading into the midterm seasons now. We're, we're already into January. We're, we're 11 months away from when people are going to be heading out to the polls, maybe even a little less than that. Um, I, I think between organizations like yours, obviously, we have already talked about War Room. We've got a lot of people up on the hill right now who are, you know, getting out there, FaceTime, going on shows, doing their own podcasts. You even have, you know, ones like ours out there just trying to get that Trump era policy and America first agenda out. What do you think are some of the most critical things that you could tell our listenership right now that they need to do between now and Election Day to make sure that we don't run into any kind of issues like we had during the 2020 presidential election? Oh, well, I mean, you know, this is where it gets into um, and War Room is is the gold standard for how they help make this happen, too. They kind of took, you know, that idea of reaching out and then telling those and organizing those people and then telling them how they can affect change. One of the ways they, that that's happened is through people registering up as precinct committee men or, or, um, you know, people, uh, election supervisors and, and these sort of nonpartisan sort of roles in the election, pro- in the voting process that, um, allows us to be directly involved in maintaining the integrity of the vote and of the election. And so, uh, you know, it, that is one of the th- it's one of those not not at all sexy jobs right. that is actually and that ends up being super important to to the outcome of an election. 2020 is a great example of that. You know, um, we need people who are who know what to do in those back rooms when the votes are being counted and somebody's trying to do some funny business. You know, we need people who are sharp, sharp who can spot that, who can then invoke the right, you know, um, authoritative standards to say like, hey, this is the rule. You can't do this. You can't count that vote. They have to stop the vote, the illegitimate vote from being counted right there in that room, right? Right in that moment. That's the only way to stop voter fraud. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like, you know, as it's happening, you know, as to what everybody was upset about in, uh, you know, 2020, that is what you need to do. And so all the unsexy jobs, wherever they exist, those need to be filled by young, sharp, smart, energetic people. Do not leave it, you know, to the boomers to do it. You know, they, all you need them to do is come out and vote, maybe yes. donate a little money, you know, but they shouldn't be the ones who are having to be responsible for maintaining the integrity of the vote because these Democrats are vicious. And these leftists are vicious and they send all their good young kids to do stuff like that. And they're, you know, they're young people or just their energetic people or the people who have, you know, the most balls to go and commit voter fraud in the back rooms. Right. And so we need to have that sort of mentality and we need to recruit people and have people in those positions who are going to match them in the back rooms in that manner. Yeah, well, that's just I, I don't think you can really give it enough you know, credit to talk about how important those roles are and, and, and who needs to be the ones getting involved right now. I think moving forward, we really need to see our, our younger, you know, generation of, uh, of our voters and, and conservative activists really getting out there and not just 
trying to, you know, say they love the America First agenda and they love MAGA forever and stuff like that. They really need to physically get involved. And like you said, kill a lot of those things like day of voting voter fraud in the womb and when it's happening in real time and then moving forward, you know. Yeah, it's, you know, voter fraud is like infidelity. Yeah. You know, you have to you have to catch them in the act. Right. And so, like, that's the only way. Otherwise, you have no case. So, you know, that's the way you got to approach it. Yeah, because then they just go, well, we counted them again. It's the same. Well, exactly. In the act, you have to stop it right there. We counted them again five times. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome getting to know you today. Fish, I know you're a very busy man. You got a bunch of stuff going on, and uh, you're going to jump off with us here. But, uh, you know, we'd love to have you back at some point in the future, maybe closer to the midterms, kind of get an update on what you're doing. And uh, why don't you let our listenership know where they could find you across social medias? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Vish Burra. V-I-S-H-B-U-R-R-A. I'm also on Getter. Everybody get on Getter. This is part of creating the institutions that we need to be able to fight against our enemies, you know, so we got to enable and and get on the platforms that, uh, you know, are friendly to us. So get on Getter. You can find me there at Vishbura, uh, V-I-S-H-B-U-R-R-A. I'm actually banned from Facebook and Instagram. (laughs) Weird. uh, Because my J6 memes were too spicy. Hmm. Well, hopefully you got some new ones coming up as we're heading on to the uh, I like spicy right anniversary of the worst insurrection in the history of insurrection. Insurrection. <laughs> I, I, I thought all I thought I thought it was just a peaceful protest over a stolen election. Sounds you like know? it. Yeah, simple <laughs> enough, right? Well, when you roll in the boneless chicken wing, yeah, that's true. And the witch. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the vice president of the New York Republicans Club. He works with Matt Gates. He's an absolute fire breather for the conservative movement, Mister Vishbur. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I had a great time. Love to see you guys again. Take care, sir. All right, what'd you guys think of Vish? Pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, solid. Definitely awesome. on the front lines, holding the line right there. Definitely doing awesome things. Yeah, he's uh, involved in a lot more stuff than, than he alluded to. He's very uh, modest in regards to you know pushing himself out there. I think the job that he does with the New York Young Republicans Club can't really compare to a lot of the other things going on out there, especially he's got his hands full with that one, at least. Yeah. In addition to all the work he's done with war room and now, you know, being the producer of Matt Gates firebrand podcast and doing a lot of work with him. I think, uh, part of that maturing process that we talked about over the last few weeks of Matt game might come from, you know, the maturing process that, that fish went through. I think, uh, you know, when he talks about his story and his ascendant to, uh, conservative politics. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's switch gears now and, uh, talk about, the Biden economy or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, the economic advisor did the uh, rounds this weekend on all of the uh, weekend talk shows and uh, Jared Bernstein and was talking about how uh, pleased he is with the Biden economy and it's, you know, uh, definite uptick, even though there were some statistics released today that we'll get to after this clip. Uptick compared to bullshit. <laughs> Let's be very concrete about this. What is the main price that people see when they're driving down the street, typically twice per block? That's the price of gas. Uh, on my jogging route every day, I go by a, a station and I check it out every day. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm tracking this on many different levels. And what we have seen is that nationally, the price of gas is down 10 to 14 percent, depends on where you are. Uh, per gallon. Those are real savings for America. Now, part of that is a response to a coordinated release of uh, petroleum (laughs) reserves from our country and other countries organized by this president. 
At the same time, you know, people talked a lot about how, how Christmas was going to be a bust this year because goods weren't going to flow through ports. Christmas was not a bust. You just mentioned it yourself. Retail sales were historically high. Our work in the ports and, in, and with the trucking have shown real results in terms of getting these uh, uh, goods from <laughs> ship to shelf and helping Americans uh, get uh, the have, have the kind of holiday season that they were hoping for in that regard. So I'll give you a little bit of insider take on it, this. It's it's like when when there's going to be a sale at the sh like the shiesty uh, corner mart around the corner and they raise the prices. Right. 45 cents and then lower them 20 cents. Well, that's the thing. The Biden administration comes in, inflation goes off, gas goes up, let's just say $1.50 an average. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. I agree as well. Nationally, right? And then for him to say to see the economy booming because he sees the inflated $1.50 gas price down 14 cents. No, right. you're not there. You're still not even close. Not even in the same wheelhouse as the Trump era gas prices, which are still well over a dollar, uh, you know, a gallon nationally everywhere. I think it's it's just more of, of double speak and misinformation. Some news came out today. They had the jobs numbers uh, from November released, not wow. jobs added, but great news. Four point five million people quit their full time job or part-time job equivalent to have enough hours that you can garner benefits in November. I saw that right mm. before we got on. That's insane. Yeah. And, and we've already talked about the millions more. And is this people that wanted to quit their jobs or people that just quit their jobs coincidentally because they were getting forced to do some shit that they didn't want to do mm. like quit their jobs. For also instance. a very good point. I don't know if it's going to go all the way up to 4.5 million, but it definitely goes into the overall totality of that number. And then when you talk about Christmas not being as bad as it was, I could give you a firsthand take. You know, my son is at that age to where he wants certain things for Christmas that you either see in magazines or the catalogs or on TV or the Internet. And they're all the new stuff. You know, it's not like when they're toddlers and you could just buy them toys in general. They want stuff that's either like, you know, new video games or new Lego set. I paid between 50 and $80 more for some of my son's Christmas presents. Um off of the original market price because they were not available in other places. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same here. Yeah, we were paying extra for a lot of stuff and gifts for uh, uh, for this Christmas. It was wild. My husband never really looks at those things, but even him, he was like, whoa. He's like, were, did these things ever cost that much before? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I, I paid $200 for a Lego set. Mm. I know. It's, it, it was mad. Was it already it, assembled? I, it's partially assembled. I'm going to finish it today. No, I mean, like, does it come assembled if it's that much? No. Fuck. Yeah, but it was like $120 MSRP and then uh, with the shipping and then it's not coming from this store. It's coming from a factory direct warehouse. Like for us to make it happen by Christmas, you're going to wind up paying like 75 extra bucks. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty awful. And mm. uh, I had to suck it up. But, you know, because you want to make sure you give your family a nice Christmas and stuff like that. But, yeah, okay. definitely, definitely saw it this year where, where in years past I would just you know, spend the exact same amount of money and be able to get them so much more stuff. Good thing they had like specialized requests this year. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty easy, but some of those newer toys, it definitely took it in the ass a little bit. Sure. So, well, if anybody could make the booming economy or lack thereof sound better, uh, it's Joe Biden. And he <laughs> weighed in from his fake white house set with a fake snowy background, even though it was literally snowing outside in Washington, D.C. this week. Might have been his son's coffee table. <sighs> the window was open behind him, wasn't it? Yes, it was cracked open. 
Oh, my God. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, let, let's hear him kind of weigh in on how America is awesome right now. We're entering 2022 in a position of a unique economic strength. Six million new jobs, a record number for a new president been created since January last. Unemployment is down to 4.2%, three years ahead of predictions. New small business applications are up over 30%. He can't even breathe. Compared with before the pandemic. And the fastest growth of an America in nearly 40 years. An America is the only leading economy <laughs> in the world where the economy as a whole is stronger than it was before the pandemic, even after accounting for price increases. Because, uh, because we took action for the American Rescue Plan mm. and a bipartisan infrastructure law, we made important progress. We've begun to change the trajectory, change the trajectory of our economy, the one that we inherited, to finally make it work for working people, to build up from the bottom up and the middle out, and to give working what? people the wages and benefits they deserve, and to encourage more innovation and faster growth. So now... We're in a strong position to address the challenges we face, and we have challenges, including the cost and prices that people have to pay. Oh, scissor me timbers. I feel like you needed one of those. So if you look at the August, September, October, and now November jobs. Could I just stop you right there? Sure. Call bullshit on 98% of that. 10 million jobs have been eliminated from August to November. Wow. Yeah. So the six million that he's claimed to have, so he's still at negative four million jobs since the start of the administration, just based off the last four months of jobs uh, numbers going into December. I think for April Fools, they should dress him up in like a powdered wig and like the weird little knee socks. <laughs> That'd be great to see because I mean, he won't notice. He's no. not going to know what the fuck's going on. Why does he always sound like he can't breathe? He. Uh, that's what I said while he was talking. <laughs> Rubber rubber mask will do that to you. Because he's probably <laughs> no, but he really does. His, his breathing is always labored. Forty years. I know forty years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think the only other person, not really economy wise, but that can kind of weigh in uh, on some of the things that that's been going on with the administration. And our only clip of him this week is uh, well, <laughs> Mangle, Doctor Malenge. <laughs> She called me Malenge. Um, he was asked this weekend by Dana Bash on CNN about uh, the new Pfizer-Mectin version of the uh, COVID pill that's getting ready to come out. Now more expensive. Yes. Um, I think Probably works for your health. Yeah, definitely. It has all, all, all the nasty things in it that Ivermectin doesn't that are going to hurt you. And, uh, you know... He got a little has bits of real plutonium in it. That way, you know it's good. <laughs> yeah, he got he got a little grouchy about it when she asked. It's called Covaxin. Now deadlier. So we're just gonna make just like two of the big tag words, mix them together. Well, I mean, you did hear what the two new coronavirus variants are called, right? It's uh, Delmicron is next, and then uh, Fluvid. No. Yes. Yeah, the, the fluvid I have heard. Yeah. Oh my god. Fluvid. Yeah. So Delmicron and fluvid are the two next strange com coming. No, to I it. thought it was flu flurona. No, it's fluvid. 
I thought well, no. then somebody was making a joke because somebody said Florona. We probably made that joke. Yeah, it might have been. But I can't even tell. I can't tell our jokes from real life anymore. Right. Because I know we, that's we, what I was just going to say to you. I'm like, get me out of this SNL. That makes me want to really like, my Florona. <laughs> We've been joking about Pfizer-Mectin for a year. And now that it came out recently that the pill I is going like to be we called get, Covaxin. I feel like we should get royalties or something. Are we going to see those commercials where it's like the, the nice music and the great sunlight, the two old people walking by like the bathtub in the field? Don't worry, we're not talking about me getting a hard on later. We're talking about <laughs> alternative treatments for COVID. So, all right, let, let's hear him get all grouchy when, when, when asked about this uh, alternative therapeutic. Says, why are traditional vaccines like the World Health Organization approved Covaxin, which is proven to be safe and effective in India and which appears to have the potential to be effective against new variants being delayed for approval in the U.S.? We hmm. had so many people ask about Covaxin. We have enough vaccines, the best vaccines available in the United States. So I don't see really I'm puzzled by that question. We have more vaccines than we need right now. We Imagine just that. need the people to get vaccinated with the vaccines. Wait, that vaccines we one have. more time. Huh? The mRNA vaccines are vaccines that are desired by everyone else in the world. False. So we have what we need. We need to use it. But are you not? Are you opposed to alternative treatments? What, what do you mean alternative? It's not alternative. It's another vaccine. He's like, bitch! I just we said vaccine. There's vaccine. nothing but vaccines. We have plenty of vaccines. <laughs> they have not applied to get approved. When you try to get approved, the FDA looks at the data, and if the data are in order and give you a good scientific rationale to approve and it, if we say so the fda will approve it there are no interventions that are not being approved for reasons other than they've either not been submitted for approval or the data are not strong enough data warrant approval oh, One shut, more. shut your mouth can i just get the first five or seven seconds of that clip one more time wait a minute Quick question. I wish I had a ding so we could just hit like the little ding every time he says vaccine. Well, you are the button person. Well, I, was, I was thinking, I was like, he's like trying to hypnotize the population. Yeah, no, no, and, no, like, I'll, I'll do the best I can MRNA. with what I've got. Let's hear, that. Let's hear a little bit of that again. All right, coming in hot. Again, says, why are traditional vaccines oh. like the World Health Organization approved Covaxin, which is proven to be safe and effective in India mm. and which appears to have the potential to be effective against new variants being delayed for approval in the U.S.? We had so many people ask about Covaxin. We have enough vaccines, oh. the best vaccines oh. available in the United States. So I don't see really I'm puzzled by that question. We have more vaccines oh. than we need right now. We just need the people to get vaccinated with the vaccines oh, 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 that we have. Oh, 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 the mRNA oh, oh, vaccine. Oh, oh, oh. I think we got the point. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It, so, let me, because I just thought of something. Because he was making it a point to say mRNA. And I'm just looking trying not COVID. to say communism. I know, right? Well, Covaxin, from what I can see so far, is not mRNA, which is, that's probably why that kind of ticked him off, too. Yep, and, he was, and that's probably why he specified on that. Yeah, so, and you know how they want that mRNA in us? Not in me. Myrna. Well, 
someone we won't need the Mr. Garrison button for. Yeah, I think that one's done for the day. Grant Stitchfield uh, gave a really good take on the on the Joe Byron administration last night. Um, he's been tasked with talking about the rigged and stolen election of 2020 every day on his show by Donald Trump, as was seen in his Instagram stories last week when he joined the president via invite for his New Year's gala at Mar-a-Lago. Um, I like Grant. He, he's kind of like uh, if Tucker and Hannity had a baby and then wasn't as controlled oppie. But, he, you know, he's on Newsmax, so I really haven't been watching too much of uh, that channel after what happened with Steve Cortez and uh, Emerald Robinson. So, but he did give a pretty good take on the, uh, and did make fun of the fake White House set. So I thought it would be good for the show since we had Joe Biden talking from it before. What's awkward when you leave the window open hey, to the fake folks, White House? Hey welcome back. So <laughs> Team Biden is about as fake as it gets. They're fake with their policies, they're fake with their popularity, and they're even fake when they put on display Puppet Joe in his own news conferences. This fake White House set, I'm sure you've seen it by now, is really getting silly. Biden's staff shamelessly puts Joe Biden in front of it with fake backgrounds nearly every day, even though all of America knows it's fake. These are all meetings, by the way, that should be held in the Oval Office or a press briefing room or quite literally any other room in the White House but that fake set. But this fake administration feels the need to put Biden in a fake room with a fake set and a fake background. It is all mind-boggling just as mind-boggling as trying to understand Gravy Brain Joe on his fake White House set. We're entering 2022 in a position of a unique economic strength. <laughs> sell the processors, excuse me, and sell the process, excuse me, sell the process product. But I was sitting in my kitchen yesterday, and there's a sunroom off the kitchen, and my wife was there with her sister and a good friend named Mary Ann, <laughs> And she was saying, do you realize it's over $5 for a pound of hamburger meat? He's like, I did that. $5. Everybody <laughs> thinks the big industry is chemicals. It's chickens. What? Chickens. Boiler <laughs> chickens. Billion-dollar industries. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> needs help. <laughs> so anyway, sorry. I don't want to get too personal here. Broiler chickens. <laughs> My God. Broiler. Why don't they just tape them? Chickens. Why do them live? If you're going to be fake about it, just... Tape those stupid things that he does. Chickens, that's the big industry. So why do they use these strange fake sets? I've got some ideas about this. Here's one. He needs a room for a mega teleprompter. One too big for any other room in the White House. I've seen pictures of it. It's insanely large. Maybe this mysterious fake set is closer to Joe's bed. A shorter, you know, the dementia shuffle for him after waking up from an afternoon nap. And maybe... The most likely reason Team Biden loves the fake set There's great is the floor. Oval Office, of course, is occupied with whoever is actually running the country. True Joe's story. not yeah. allowed in at those times. So here's the problem with a fake set. It means they're putting on a production, which is really all this entire presidency is, a massive phony production. Biden's press team refuses to tell us why he uses these phony sets just as they refuse to tell us who's actually running the country because we know it ain't Joe Biden. Well, what do you guys think? I thought it was uh, pretty telling, not only for Newsmax, but kind of a different narrative from Grant Stitchfield, who's, you know, hard hit sometimes, but it's very middle of the road, moderate, boomerish. That's kind of a hard take on, uh, 
you know, some of the stuff that's going on and, and pointing out one of the things that we've, you know, we've heard Alex Jones and Tucker and, you know, other people weigh in on it. So what do you guys think? I think, I mean, I'm surprised. I don't watch him often, but I wasn't expecting him to go that deep. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty far in the weeds. I like it. I'm going to jump yeah. out and get ahead of it and say Grant Stinchfield didn't fire himself. <laughs> ah, zing. So, well, I, 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 you know, according to him, you, I follow well, him on Instagram. I talk to him every once in a while. He, he says he's not vaccinated, so I don't know. I mean, I know he does his Newsmax stuff r- remotely because he, I think he lives in Cincinnati. He does a, he has a radio station show there. Uh, that oh. he does with another lady, and that's like his regular job. And then being a Newsmax show is like his other job. Well, here's the thing: it, so they it, it's they have a full production team yeah. running this shit. That that teleprompter is like a hundred inches. Yeah. So everything that's happening, everything they release, just imagine, like oh, these aren't live, right? No. Okay. So no, they are. Oh, these are live. That's okay. You, so that's why they can't fuck. They can't unfuck them. Broiler chickens. No, but like. The ones where where they've actually like pre-released stuff and and still released it and they still have fucking errors. Yeah, just imagine yeah. like how bad the outtakes are. They're like, you know what? Whatever, just fuck it. We'll just take this one. I was thinking the same thing because I'm like, there's no way that they're like they're doing all of these live. Like they're oh, man, I don't even know the outtakes. God no, <laughs> imagine the tangents he goes on that don't like have anything to do with what he's talking about or supposed to. I, I was really hoping he was going to say there's a diaper changing station closer I to. Know. I was going to say there's grates in the ground so he just poops, you know, right under the chair. So he doesn't have pants on when he does these things. Do you? I don't know how many times they've ca- no. probably caught him on camera like um farting. Farting. <laughs> <laughs> I still so. want to hear that big one he did for the uh that he did in England that the duchess was talking about for weeks that she couldn't believe oh i did forgot it. about that he oh, broke he's... wind in her presence oh really my... yeah he thought it was going to be a silent one but it wasn't it was elongated was it, it was a clapper yeah was it camilla yes it was it yes was... yes it was her she was like she even talked about it which is funny it must have been bad <laughs> yeah well you know as we're getting ready to uh bring in two america first candidates right now Patrick Witt representing Georgia 10 and Casey Wardinsky, who's going to be running in Alabama five for house seats. We're going to hope to get a little bit more of that insider perspective on the inner workings of the administrative state and maybe some commentary on the Joe Biden administration right now or lack thereof. All right. Joining us next today on this Tuesday edition of steak for breakfast. He's a Republican candidate running for Congress in Georgia 10. He's a former senior Trump administration official, and part of the post-election legal team. Mr. Patrick Witt, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Great to be with you all. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, sir. How you doing? Doing great. Just got back from a, uh, an outing in the district down around the uh, the lake country. Uh, if you all are familiar at all with, uh, with Georgia around Lake Oconee, met with a number of veterans this morning and uh, back home now. So uh, excited to talk with you all. Nice. I, I am going to have to add one thing to his resume, which is extremely extensive and very America first. Probably one of the most important things that I left out in his introduction. Amanda Milius endorsed? Oh, yeah. There you go. There, that as well. So <laughs> We love Amanda. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm grateful to have her support and a number of others. We can get into that. But uh, Steve Cortez, Raheem Kassam, uh, you know, all sorts of folks that I served with in the Trump administration. I'm grateful to have their support. And I think uh, you can tell uh, where someone stands by the company that they keep. And I'm grateful to have a lot of the America first, uh, you know, most prominent, recognizable figures uh, back in my campaign. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we've had a bunch of them on as well, in addition to Peter Navarro, John Gibbs, uh, et cetera. We've had some some former officials on. We have Casey Wardinsky coming up after you today, and uh, he was nominated and confirmed in 2019 in the Trump administration to be the uh, yeah. senior administration for the Army and Reserves. So it, it's good to uh, be getting all these candidates and painting their narratives. Let's talk about your campaign right now. So, um, you know, from some of the information we've been able to, to gather – from Raheem and Amanda and then Andrew McCarthy we had on two weeks ago. Um, yeah. You know, they, they said you ended your time in the campaign and then jumped in the uh, you know election stuff afterwards and, and some of the things you saw and, or, and, you know, maybe didn't see happening is what basically compelled you to run. Can you give us a little insight on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I was, I was serving up in D.C., was a deputy chief and then chief of staff at the end of the admin of the Office of Personnel Management. We can talk more about my experience up there, but we were basically leading the charge on all of the drain the swamp executive orders. I led the implementation of the executive order to eliminate critical race theory trainings from the federal agencies. And we were busy as can be. And I feel like uh, most of the, the Trump admin folks that you would talk to would say we, we finally got the right people in place and we were really hitting on all cylinders. Uh, right towards the end of the administration. And that's why it was so frustrating to us that we didn't get a second term because we were uh, geared up, ready to go, had the, the right folks there that were ready to, to continue driving forward on the America First agenda. Uh, but after November 3rd, I was up there in, in our office at, at OPM and uh, everyone was kind of in a fog. We didn't know what was going on, news reports flying around, uh, numerous states had not been called yet. And uh, I went to the director of my agency and I said, look, you know, Mike, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to be most valuable to the administration if I go back home and just show up at Trump HQ and volunteer. So I took an unpaid leave of absence from my job at the administration, flew back home, uh, showed up at Trump HQ in Atlanta, and it was complete chaos. Uh, there was no plan in place, which was disappointing. I mean, President Trump was out there on the campaign trail uh, for an entire year before the election, laying out exactly what the Democrats were going to do. And I don't know whether uh, folks on the, the official campaign side were just misrepresenting to him the, the uh, plan that they had in place or the structure because there was none. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm down there uh, as a volunteer and, and trying to help in whatever way I can. And I'm behind closed doors with some of our most prominent uh, Georgia political figures. And, um, you know, I'm getting all the text messages. I'm getting the emails. My folks are, too. Everybody was about hey, send in this money to help fight for election integrity, to help President Trump fight for, um, you know, uh, an investigation, the, these lawsuits into what happened in the November 2020 election. And I'm in those rooms and watching these Georgia political figures basically say, we're going to send all this money to the Senate runoffs. And there's, there's no action whatsoever to actually fight for President Trump uh, to look into what happened in that election, all the fraud, the misconduct, all the issues that that we all know well and could talk about ad nauseum. And I was disgusted by it to, to see these folks basically defrauding the American public, uh, saying that they're raising money for an issue that they're really not going to take any action on. So me, Cleta Mitchell, uh, a number of the, the Atlanta attorneys that were there, uh, we had to split off and, and form up uh, what what Cleta Mitchell calls team deplorables. And we actually represented the president down there. Yeah. A group of volunteers and, and lawyers had to break away and, and do all of the work that the RNC should have been doing, that these Georgia political figures should have been doing. And uh, that was the wake up call for me. You know, you're up in D.C., you fight the bureaucrats, the Democrats, you expect all of that. But I expected to come home to Georgia and to see 
are Republican leaders here ready to fight for President Trump, ready to fight for America first, for election integrity? And what I saw was more weakness, more um, uh, political games. And I, I said to myself, look, I, I can't stay on the sidelines. I went to work for President Trump because he was a fighter. And uh, I need to continue that fight uh, by serving uh, in the, the House of Representatives. Yeah, you're, you're starting to paint a really good picture that we've been able to ask all of our former Trump administration officials who have come on our show. It's one that's very interesting and to the casual politics follower may not really register as much as possible. Um, I, I think a lot of people who casually follow politics, you know, they see candidates either in their district or at the House and Senate level all the way up to the president, and they see him as this figure who's going to go in and change everything. But the more and more we talk to these people who really worked in the inside, whether it be top administration officials all the way down to people who served under cabinet members, et cetera, and you know, even some of the, the people that are in the news, like Raheem, Christina Bob covered a lot in Georgia, Heather Mullins from Real America's Voice did a lot down there in the coverage of the stuff in Georgia. They talk about the administrative state, um, and, it, and it's one of the things that really put – several of the huge challenges against the America first agenda uh, during the Trump administration. And definitely something, you know, as you just alluded to, when you go down there thinking they're going to be working on stop the steel related stuff. And next thing you know, you're working on uh, the two Senate candidates that were going in the runoff elections. Just really interesting to hear during your time in the administration. And I know you can talk about this ad nauseum. Believe me, a couple people who have been on the show lately have said, you're the person to ask about this. Talk about the administrative state and how much of a challenge it was for President Trump to try and get his agenda across when he was the president. Yeah, like where to start? Um, I think one of the, the big things that I, I try and communicate and I illustrate it in this way to folks, um, as you mentioned, you, you vote for your president. Uh, you get him in there and you're excited to see things change. And to an extent, they do change. You know, obviously, we're seeing uh, the, the Afghanistan disaster, all these crazy COVID mandates. I mean, leadership at the top does matter. And President Trump, in particular, was that strong leader that made things happen that other presidents, I don't think, could have done. Um, but when you vote for a president, you affect between three and 4,000 jobs in the federal government, which might sound like a lot. Um, you know, I was one of those folks, the political appointees that serve in the different agencies. We make up that three to four thousand folks. And it, it seems like a lot of people until you realize that the entire federal government, the denominator is two point two plus million bureaucrats. That yeah. doesn't include the military. That doesn't include the intelligence community and a number of other parts of the federal government. So you're affecting when you vote for a president less than one percent of the jobs in the federal government. And. These bureaucrats, they're almost to a man and to a woman, radical leftist Democrats that like to paint themselves as these impartial operators of the government. And they're just there to take orders. It's a lie. They are there with their agenda and they view you, the political appointees, the folks that actually represent uh, the will of the American people. They view you as tourists. You're, you're there to basically just watch them uh, operate the government and, and hang out for a few years and um, you know, issue a couple different statements and, you know, smile and take take photos and cut the ribbons. Um, what was different about President Trump's administration, uh, as opposed to a, a George W. Bush administration, for that matter, is we were there to get work done. Yeah. And um, that's not to say that all of the, the appointees, there were a lot of issues with the folks that came in the administration in particular early on. But the, the folks that were really there um, to, to implement the America First agenda, these bureaucrats looked at us like, 
like like aliens from another planet. It's like, no, you're you're just supposed to kind of be here and we tell you what to do and you just you know sign on the dotted line. Um, and we were there to shake things up and fight them. But these folks are savvy. They know how to work the system. It is their system at the end of the day that they have crafted and created. They put in place all sorts of protections for themselves. You can't fire them. You can't touch them. And they also know where all the landmines are and how to push you on top. Of them. Uh, they can file EEOC complaints against you. They can have uh, important memos and policy uh, pieces leave, leave the door. Uh, and, and you didn't even get to see them. Um, they, they know all the games to play. And that's why I think it's incredibly important and why I would be a good member in the House is, is going after the administrative state requires experience in the executive branch to know just how deep the rot goes and also how to fight back against these people with the policy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really incredible to hear. And then, and then when, when you just know that these people are, are there, they get that career status within the government, and then they're basically untouchable. And at the same time, they can go after people who are coming through in four to eight year stints and, and basically make their life miserable in addition to not getting any of the agenda pushed. We've heard some horror stories all the way from, you know, the Oval Office with Peter Navarro, uh, the State Department with Amanda, and then, you know, all the way down to even like places like HUD, uh, where, you know, John Gibbs said he used to print out huge poster boards of Trump's tweets. And when, <laughs> when all these people in these meetings weren't, weren't, we're just sitting on stuff and not doing it. He would bring them to the meetings and be like, Hey and guys, the boss this is yeah. literally talking about this. This is what he's saying on Twitter. We need to get this done. He said, right. sometimes it works. Sometimes it didn't. But you know, the fact of the matter is you, you shouldn't have to do that. And a lot of people don't know that that stuff's going on. Right now. You, you mentioned John Gibbs. I want to give a big shout out to him. Uh, he's a great friend, incredible guy, smart as a whip. And I yeah. think he's going to be a fantastic congressman. I'm so excited that he's running. And uh, one of the interesting things too, y'all might not know this is, John was actually nominated to be the director of my agency. Yep. So my yeah. boss, guy named Mike Regis, great guy. He was acting director um, for, for my tenure there. And uh, John Gibbs was actually nominated to be the director of our agency. And Mitch McConnell wouldn't give him a vote. Like so many other people that President Trump tried to get into the administration, uh, the Senate Republicans, you know, Republicans in air quotes there, would not give these people votes and shied away from them for tweets that they sent in the past, you know, completely backed down. And it's that lack of fight, that impotence that exists in the Senate and in the House with a lot of our Republicans that we have to address before we ever take on the Democrats. We have to figure out, uh, you know, who, who we need to get in office. and we got to fix our team first. Yeah, I definitely think uh, a lot of those career swamp monsters over there. You mentioned Mitch McConnell, but there's a bunch of other ones. They're really starting to feel the heat of this America first wave. I think everybody from people like, you know, you and John all the way over to, you know, the Kents and Sabatini's of the world, Teddy Daniels, uh, Steve Kara up in Michigan. You know, there's so many good ones that we've had on our show who are really putting the heat on right now. And I, I don't think the, uh, the beltway conservatives really felt that this whole movement, you know, they try to demonize it so much on the news it's like, you know, either you're with the Republican Party or you're with Trump. Like, that's 0% the case. Donald Trump is the Republican Party, and he will until he bows out of politics. Exactly. That's just a fact of the matter. And then they start to talk about, you know, like these fringe candidates. But now you look at it, you've got so many people that running in so many different states and picking up so much steam right now that you just can't say that this is like literally the pulse of the conservative movement right now. No, it's, you're exactly right. And I think it's a, a good point that you make, too. Trump came along and he shook up the whole system and he really carried the team by himself. 
He he is a one-man wrecking ball. He came in. If you really want to be that outsider, you need to look at the fact, like, if if Republicans are fighting you, that's a good sign that you're actually an outsider. And that's what President Trump was. And if Republicans spend as much time fighting Democrats as they did fighting President Trump during his his administration up there, we would have gotten even more done during that time. But I I think it's, um, as you mentioned, some of these other candidates, and I've gotten to know a bunch of them, great, great people. Uh, running in different states, it feels different this cycle. And I think we're that that wave two that needs to come along. Whereas Donald Trump knocked down the door and and you know brought the America First agenda to DC, we're the folks that are going to go into these offices now and continue that momentum forward. So uh, I look forward to to seeing some of these other people around the country get elected as well. We are forming up that coalition that is going to be the counterweight to the squad on the left. And uh, we're going to we're going to draw the Republican Party back in the right direction. Uh, the uniparty must end. We need to actually be an opposition party and stand for something. And that's what these candidates, uh, the folks that, that we're talking about, uh, that's what they represent. And I'm excited to be a part of that group. Yeah, 100 percent. And you mentioned that America First agenda. Let's touch on your campaign right now. Uh, we'd like our audience to get to know some of the things. What, I mean, you know, we say Georgia 10. Why don't you tell us exactly where that is and then some of the main pillars that you're focusing on. You said you were out meeting with veterans this morning. That's awesome, of course. We do love our military here on Steak for Breakfast. Let's hear some of the things that you're really pushing as uh, some of your campaign pillars. Yeah, absolutely. So starting with the district, we're east of Atlanta. I live about an hour east of Atlanta, close to Athens, Georgia. Most folks uh, might know that just because uh, that's where UGA is. So we're excited about the dogs uh, playing in the national championship uh, upcoming here in a few days. And hopefully we get uh, the best of Alabama this time. We've had a number of heartbreaks against them in in past years. And um, it kind of emanates out from Athens a little bit, you know, 30, 45 minutes north of there. And then, uh, as I mentioned, uh, where I started the morning down around Lake Oconee is a beautiful lake down there in Lake Sinclair and uh, a little bit, you know, east and west of there. So uh, great country, good mix of, of just, you know, lake area, uh, beautiful rural country farms, you know, great people, salt of the earth types. And, um, you know, on the campaign trail, I, I think what what I did in the administration and what I did on President Trump's post-election legal team are the critical issues that that people are talking about. Number one, they want to know, uh, what happened in the 2020 election? I walk them through everything that I did, uh, my my time uh, serving and defending election integrity and fighting for President Trump down here. Um, they want to know that we are actually going to take action uh, at the federal level to look into that, setting up a commission in the same way that Democrats are doing it with the January 6th, uh, you know, hoax, garbage, insurrection that they're trying to create right now. We need to do the same thing. We need to look into what happened. In the 2020 election, we need to figure out what exactly happened with China unleashing this this COVID, uh, you know, in, insanity on the world and, uh, you know, potential collusion between our own uh, bureaucratic apparatus. We talk about bureaucrats. Anthony Fauci, chief among them, uh, is perfectly representative of the kind of folks that dominate our lives, that that basically tyrannize our own citizens. And you have no recourse against them. You, you can't fire them at the ballot box. And and. Uh, uh, that's absolutely something that we need to take action on. And the second one, um, as I mentioned, is going after that administrative state, these bureaucrats that that are pushing uh, critical race theory on people that are infecting your schools and your universities. And that bureaucratic apparatus is is really blended now into the private sector. One of the most interesting things that I saw, you 
you might have heard the phrase agency capture talked about. It is very real. There is a revolving door between the bureaucrats in D.C. and then those major corporations that that lobby them, that they all have friends in their government relations departments. And the government and private sector has really blended into one. Uh, big tech censorship is basically, you know, just doing the bidding of the Biden administration. Um, this this big pharma industry that's pushing mandate after mandate, and booster after booster, that they're intimately tied up with, uh, you know, the, the HHS up there and the different agencies that handle public health. And we have to break up that that. Uh, I don't know what the cartel, if you want to call it that, between yeah. big government and um, and and the private sector, big business as well. So I think those two things in particular are critically important. And then the third one I would just touch on is we as a nation have to secure our borders. We have to build that wall. We have to end illegal immigration into this country. And then on top of that, I would also end legal immigration. We have let in way too many people into this country. Uh, illegally. It's destabilizing us as a nation. It's making us poor. It's driving up crime. And uh, until we get that uh, under control and that we we properly uh, fix our immigration system, then I think we should also have a moratorium. And I would join uh, Congressman Paul Gosar in particular in supporting that. Yeah, there's a lot of those America First candidates who are calling for that, at least for some extended amount of time moving forward after the midterms, just to be able to kind of get this whole situation with the border under control. I really think people really can't wrap their brains around. You know, you hear the the drive-by headlines on the news, oh, 1.8, 1.9, 2.1 million people already admitted to the country this year. It's so much more than that when you talk about the getaways and, and, and things of that nature. We've heard, you know, the Border Patrol guys and the guys from ICE kind of really hit home on, on those numbers and how they're uh, misleading to, to the how bad the problem really is. And then when you talk about vetting systems – no vaccine mandates for these people, immigrants coming in illegally and being able to get ivermectin. You know, you just run into a perfect storm of uh, these people are being treated way better than than U.S. citizens. And right now, if you just look at the economy and stuff like that, uh, U.S. citizens aren't being treated that great right now. So it's definitely one of those things moving forward where we'd love to see a moratorium as well. And then a complete exactly. a, a complete reform that kind of gets away from the usual Republican version of uh, immigration reform where everybody gets amnesty. It's going to have to be something different moving forward. So. Exactly. No, I, we, we have a lot of problems we need to fix here at home. And I was just talking with someone uh, this morning about all of the, the fentanyl deaths, these, these deaths of despair with all the lockdowns, suicides are up. I mean, we have serious problems uh, here in America and we need to be prioritizing American citizens. I think uh, my friend from the administration, a guy named Andrew Kloster, brilliant guy, mm-hmm. um, he, I think he put it best when he said, look, at, at its heart, what is America first? It means having a deep and abiding love of American citizens and prioritizing their interest and doing everything uh, that you can to help them. That, that's what it's all about. We are Americans first and we should uh, you know, uh, subjugate basically any other uh, you know, slashes and dashes that these folks have, have tried to cut us up into in these different dem- demographic groups. Look, we're Americans first, male, female, black, white, doesn't matter. And I will fight for you and I will try and improve your life because we're citizens together. We're, we're countrymen. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that we hate the immigrant, but you know what? I, I do love more the American. Yeah. And uh, that's what we stand for. And I, I think that is a, a compelling message that resonated with a lot of people, obviously, when President Trump ran and 
um, you know, we need to continue to uh, to fight for, for our people. Yeah, 100 percent. Patrick, this was awesome getting to know you today. We have a really great listenership on this show. They're very interactive. Everything from knocking on doors and sharing your social medias all the way up to campaign donations, et cetera. Why don't you tell everybody where they could find you across social medias, whether it be your campaign website, Twitter, things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, easiest way to find us and then all the, the associated social media is through my website, patrickwitt.com. It's patrickwitt.com. And then uh, on Twitter, we're Patrick J. Witt. And same on Getter, uh, obviously, with the big news about Marjorie Taylor Greene getting banned off of uh, Twitter and Facebook. We were talking with her just the other day before yes. that happened. I had no idea that it was coming. Um, so, yeah, please find me on there. Follow me. Get involved. Donate. Uh, another important message to share with your listeners is now is when the battle is won or lost. It, it's not enough just to get Republicans up there, as we've seen. Uh, so many of them will let you down, and they're actually not with us. We need to get the America first strong candidates and you do that in the primary and uh, we'll start to see changes happen. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, moving forward and before the midterms, we'd love to have you back on the show, kind of get an update on the campaign trail and uh, talk to you about some of the topics affecting the country right now that you're going to be looking forward to uh, hitting hard when you get to D.C. I, I would love that. I appreciate the opportunity to join you all today and hopefully again uh, very soon in the future. Yeah, we appreciate you, sir. This is Patrick Witt. Running in Georgia 10, America First candidate. Thanks for joining us on Stay for Breakfast. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Okay, our next guest joining us today is running in Alabama 5. He is a former Trump administration official who served as the Assistant Secretary for the Army for Manpower and Reserve Affairs. He also has an extensive background in public education. He was a superintendent of a school district that not only saw graduation rates increase dramatically, but turned to 19 million dollar deficit into a 30 million dollar surplus in addition to that he served in the army for 30 years and had pretty decorated career there mr casey warniski thanks for joining us today on steak for breakfast well thanks thanks for inviting me well it's our pleasure sir how's it going oh good i got the sun here in Huntsville. we had a snowstorm here two days ago which is pretty unusual yeah definitely for alabama i have to say that's that's kind of interesting um yeah usually once or twice a year well you you decided to get in and, and throw your hat in the ring for this candidacy here for House seat. Uh, you know, you served in the Trump administration. Obviously, I'm sure you weren't happy or satisfied with the way things ended after the 2020 presidential election. We'll touch on that for in a bit. But let's talk about first, what was your motivation to uh, get in here and, uh, you know, open up your candidacy? Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, I'm a big Trump supporter. <clears throat> he was elected. Uh, he had a clear agenda, you know, number one, what couldn't have been more clear was build a wall. And for two years, the Republicans had a majority in the House and Senate, uh, and virtually nothing was accomplished on the Trump agenda. Uh, uh, some tax cuts, some smart moves on uh, the way uh, state and local taxes are credited on uh, federal tax. Uh, but if, if it required the House and the Senate to come together to get something done, you know, the president was pretty much out of luck because there were just too many Republicans who weren't on the same page. Right. They, were, they were weak in my book. So next time around, I think we got to have a really strong Congress uh, with very uh, America first sorts of folks in the House and in the Senate. So I'm running for the House. No, I like it. And, uh, you know, we're going to touch on that a little bit. We've, we've had a lot of former Trump administration officials on our show, everyone from Peter Navarro and Cash Patel, Amanda Milius, John Gibbs, Patrick Witt was just on with us today uh, before you jumped in and now yourself. Um, 
let's talk about some of those things. Now, you say none of his agenda was accomplished. There's a lot of truth that goes into that. I think the biggest thing that we're starting to really peel the onion back on is the administrative state and, and how, you know, right. that greatly impacted his uh, agenda when he was in the White House. I think you probably could be one of the, you know, most expert people to weigh in on this, not only because of what your position was in the Trump administration, but because of your extensive military background. Can you weigh in on that a little bit for us? Yeah, I mean, if the president could accomplish it through an executive order or, or without the help of Congress, uh, he got a heck of a lot done. Uh, the place he did get a little bit of help was the judges, obviously, which yeah. was pivotal. Uh, and that's an important legacy. <clears throat> but he, he clearly had an agenda with NATO and Russia. And, and that was very much stymied in my book. Uh, Hillary Clinton and her bunch uh, poisoned the well with, you know, Russia. Uh, I guess they want us perpetually be in a Cold War status with Russia. Uh, and made it difficult to focus on China, which is the real threat. Uh, and the administrative state played right along. I mean, you had guys like Vindman and his brother, believe it or not. There were two lieutenant colonels over in the White House. Vindman, the one we know, right. was uh, in the national security staff. And then there was a lawyer over there, too, named Vindman. What are the odds of that, right? And uh, these guys felt that they were the policymakers, not the president. Uh, and I saw the same thing in the Pentagon. We had senior military people wearing uniforms who believe they were the policymakers, and that's just not the case. Policymakers work for the president. They're the political appointees. They carry the president's agenda into execution. Uh, and then the execution layer is the permanent government, the bureaucratic state, or in the Department of Defense, you know, the uniformed military people. Uh, that seemed to be very confusing to a lot of the people in the permanent government. And uh, they routinely felt uh, empowered to ignore the president's uh, uh, policies, uh, priorities, uh, belittle them and work uh, to stymie them uh, almost at every turn and to usurp uh, really policymaking authorities, uh, which belong uh, to the executive uh, and to themselves, uh, which, you know, I, I saw from General Milley and several others mm. on numerous occasions. Yeah, that's definitely one of the... He's uh, definitely one of our favorites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was pleased to see that... Uh, Darth Vader caught COVID this week. Oh, <laughs> Secretary Austin is pretty funny to uh, all those pictures uh, that are going around of him with his masks and visor. Yeah, and, it's such a farce. I mean, the military people, I think they might have lost 100 people out of the entire uniformed services, active guard reserve, uh, since this drama began. And of course, it's not clear how many of those were motorcycle accidents with COVID or car accidents with COVID, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but these are very healthy young people. They do not get you know, serious COVID symptoms and, you know, fatal outcomes. They're very, very healthy. By June of, I think it was June of 20, uh, I was getting phone calls every day from training and doctrine command, you know, you know four-star general, hey, Casey, we got four guys that showed up at Fort Benning, you know, COVID positive. I'm like, are they, do they have symptoms? Well, no. Can they train? Yes. They said, well, I suggest they train and I suggest you take care of it unless they're sick and you think I need to know about it. I don't need another phone call. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When so is case that case nonsense drove the military as well as civilian life? Yeah. When did we when did we go so far away from the military with the change your socks and have a Motrin? Right. It's it's crazy. And you know, by June, we knew it was the flu. I mean, I was asking the head epidemiologist of the Department of Army um, Medical Department, when are we going to declare this thing the flu? He says, Well, it is the flu, sir. But you know, it's very political. The CDC is is the ones calling the shots. I'm like, they don't call the shots if we go to war. If yeah. we go to war, we're going to war. Uh, come hell or high water. And right now we're not training thanks to their guidance. Uh, there were tank battalions training from home for months. Uh, yes. When the guard deployed the DC in January, 28,000 of them, 
I think the chief of staff said, hey, I don't want any guys coming to D.C. that haven't been on a rifle range in six months. Well, that would have been the entire United States Army <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because of COVID. Yeah, it's just uh, incredible to hear some of that insider perspective. And, oh, and uh, then there's still, I mean, there's still people in the reserves and active duty oh, yeah. that, are, that are still floating, waiting, uh, waiting to see if they're going to get uh, kicked out or not. Well, you know, if, I wish the, the governors of the red states would get together and say, you know, we're not doing it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the Department of Defense would say. They, they tried to uh, strong arm Oklahoma and say, well, we're going to defund you. Well, go ahead. Defund the, the conservative states, which is where most of the combat power in the guard is. And you're going to really undermine air defense of the United States, missile defense of the United States, air defense of the nation's capital, and the ground combat power of the army would probably cut by a third. And they just couldn't do it. To think that our enemies aren't watching this and laughing Gleefully. all the way to the bank yeah. is it, it, yeah. just silly to even think about. All right. Well, they're studying it. They're buying our data. Uh, they're oh, buying yeah. uh, the DNA data from the United States to try and figure out if there's some some way to engineer things for Westerners that would not perhaps uh, harm you know people from China uh, for their next go-round with this little Fandango. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. As, I that was as one of my theories. Right, coming down the pike. Casey, let's jump into your uh, actual campaign. Now, obviously, former administration official and, and, and America First platform. What are some of those things? I mean, you already talked about border security. Obviously, you have a really strong military background, national defense and things like that. Um, moving forward, what are some of the other things that are going to be, you know, important to Alabama 5 that you're looking to take to the Beltway? Well, uh, judiciary sorts of issues are very important. Uh, I think across the country, we'd like to know Department of Justice and its various operating agencies, FBI and so forth, uh, actually operate on behalf of the American people and not uh, perpendicular to their interests. Uh, I found the FBI's behavior to be very disturbing. Um, I even remember watching that show when I was a kid every Sunday night with Efren Zimbalist Jr. You know, the FBI, they got their guy in 40 minutes every week. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it was actually a bad guy. Uh, and then you watch Comey and McCabe and Strzok and Page and, you know, it goes on and on and on at the FBI. Nobody's held to account. The, you know, Hillary's uh, top secret closet uh, server is not an issue, but they cook up their own information to try and frame the president and destroy his presidency uh, and undermine, you know, the President Trump for four years. Uh, that's There's, there's got to be people held to account for that. And that's, to me, the Judiciary Committee sort of work. Uh, you know, funding for these agencies need to be reviewed closely. Um, their authorities need to be reviewed closely. This whole FISA court business, yeah. uh, all the things put in place after 9-11 we thought were designed to protect Americans that are instead being used against them. That, that all needs to be relooked and probably taken apart. I, I 100% agree uh, with that statement right there. Now, you mentioned Hillary Clinton, I think, twice since we jumped on today. She is definitely positioning herself as of late to move back to the forefront of the uh, Democratic I, Party, in my opinion. I cringed both it, times he said her name. She, <laughs> she's done a couple big interviews in addition to her uh, crying segment during her master class now, but she's, <laughs> she's made some pretty disparaging comments as of late about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, even though she was supposedly giving Kamala Harris advice shortly before those statements came out, uh, talking about, you know, a White House that is competent and relevant and gets things done. In addition, she's now trying to bring her views back towards the center and saying a lot of those progressive things are what's holding up the party. She used Joe Manchin and uh, Kristen Cinema as a blatant example of that. Does it worry you at all to see probably one of the dirtiest politicians in the history of politics trying to center her way back in for what might be a run in uh, 2020 
or 2024? Well, she's a monster for sure. Uh, and uh, to say that these people are more progressive than her, I think is just to basically argue that they said the quiet parts out loud where she, <laughs> she does them in secret. Yeah. Uh, she was totally on board with the federalization of healthcare in this country, which to me has played right in the hands of uh, the petty tyrants during COVID. Uh, I don't know who represents patients anymore or, or the American people. <clears throat> and that, that was very much enabled by this federalization of healthcare, which she was for, uh, you know, lock, stock and barrel when Clinton was president. Um, she's a scary creature, uh, you know, but we need tough Republicans to deal with whoever comes, uh, whether it's her or Camilla or, or Buttigieg or whoever hell. Uh, we, we need a Congress that supports an agenda that Republicans can get behind and not constantly demoralize Republicans by they elect a, a president that's America first and then the Congress, you know, goes weak. Uh, Clinton would be more formidable in my mind than uh, Harris or Biden. Uh, but she's got a lot of baggage yeah. uh, and the Congress could certainly bring some of that baggage and open it up. The whole uh, top secret information business on her server in a closet, uh, this uranium sale to Russia uh, and the, the Clinton Foundation, you know, benefiting from that. And the Clinton's benefiting from it. That all needs to be dug into. Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, you know, if you if you look at uh, maybe a different reason why she's kind of insert, reinserting herself back into politics, it could be to try and stall some of these America First candidates from getting over the finish line during the midterms because she knows uh, a strong enough House and a large majority in the Senate then could really start to peel back the onion on everything that's her. And when you start doing that, you're going to get some some pretty eye-opening stuff for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, Epstein and, I mean, the whole it just never ends with that bunch. The, the whole Trump gate thing, she paid through three cutouts, you know, to enable that phony dossier to exist. Uh, they need to roll that right back into her front door and lay it at her doorstep there. Yeah. And that's some of the things that the legacy media still uh, carries the water on even till today. Oh, yeah. They still just, yeah. You know, no, it's still right. true. It's still true. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a joke. Uh, thanks to them, you know, uh, Trump was trying to create a world in which we didn't have to have both Russia and China enemies at the same time. Uh, they're doing everything they can to push China and Russia together uh, against us and, and our allies. It's just damn foolishness. And, you know, they're pushing hard on this Ukrainian business, trying to, it seems like, you know, bring it uh, in the world of uh, military and now the world of diplomatic and economic, which is just very foolish. Yeah. All right, the last thing I want to touch with you on, Casey, it's kind of an opinion of statement. I mean, I know you've probably seen some of it firsthand. you got an extensive background. I saw you, you were heavily involved with, you know, the tech sector, the military, probably intelligence and stuff like that. Now, some of the things, you know, the inconsistencies big time we saw during the 2020 presidential election, obviously we moved away from that and kind of have our head on a swivel now, still trying to get some disposition on what may or may not happen during the election. But we obviously have to move forward and, and, and start to, you know, make the push to take care of this country again. Uh, what are some of the things that you, you'd like to see changed or, uh, you know, reworked moving forward on, on getting some kind of election integrity, uh, you know, at least for the midterms and then moving forward? Well, it seems like Biden and his crowd are now going to double down. Uh, I know Schumer's talking about uh, maybe getting rid of the the filibuster uh, to ram through their HR1, their mm -hmm. uh, voting bill to federalize elections and enable sort of California protocols nationwide uh, so that they can perpetuate themselves in power, I guess, forever. Yeah. Um, that, that can't happen. Uh, the Constitution is pretty clear that the state legislators are the ones in charge of how elections are run within the states. 
uh, that's a good fire break on, on this kind of federal nonsense. And uh, we need to maintain that and strengthen it. And the states where there were irregularities and questions, uh, those need to be delved into and understood, if no, for other, no other reason than to make sure we've got integrity going forward. Uh, but certainly to bring accountability if, if there were, you know, large scale shenanigans uh, during the 20, uh, what was it, the 20 election, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things moving forward. We really need to uh, stop that thing from getting pushed over the finish line in Washington, D.C., and then uh, really have a lot of these people who are working with these America First candidates get out to the polls, get out to the precincts, really pack them with poll watchers and, uh, you know, every everything from places like Alabama and then up in Michigan and Georgia, all the places where we thought, you know, we had really strong uh, – election things fortified make them even tougher and and make sure moving forward there's not going to be any uh mishaps or anything like that casey this is great getting to know you today uh obviously you know a little bit down the road and before the midterms we'd love to welcome you back uh kind of give us an update on the campaign trail uh we we've got a really great listenership who uh takes pride in in all the america first candidates we bring on they're they're very interactive they help out campaign donations they share your social medias and stuff like that why don't you tell our listenership where they could find and follow you sure uh friendsofcasey.com is the uh, campaign website we have a facebook page um we're typically on uh, a lot of uh, media we're usually in the news once or twice a week and so uh Love to have people come and take a look at the website, support if they can. Yeah, I've been seeing you doing a lot of the the shows and stuff like that, and it was great being able to sit down and, and getting to know you a little bit today. And like I said, of course, we'd love to have you back at some point between the midterms. Thank you very much. America First candidate running in Alabama 5, Casey Wardenski, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Thank you. Well, pretty good perspective, you know, getting different views from both of those guys, but at the same time, two people that served inside of the Trump administration, I think it's uh, – you know, kind of good to hear their takes. And uh, I think Do you ever just like listen to the show after, or just like think about the guests we're having and just be like, why are these people on our show? No, we're getting some, we're getting some decent guests on yeah. here. It's no, a little I weird. The same thing. I thought the same thing. I, I like to congratulate both of you guys for having any confidence in our show right now. No, I'm just saying like, <laughs> no, but it's cool because it's like, wow. Okay. You know, we've got some really awesome guests coming on and back yeah. to back too. No, and- not that I don't have confidence in our show. I think we're, we're putting right. out a good quote unquote product, but we're proud of yourself. I'm just very you know? surprised. I'm not surprised, but just like it's I'm dumbfounded by the level that we've gotten to. Yeah. Well, for the people who early on were willing to take the risks and come on, we've collaborated a decent guest list, which I include in a lot of the emails I send out to people who are prospective guests on the show. And once you get past the first couple dozen, it's kind of hard to to say no. You put yourself in a category of being one of the people who haven't been on the show. Yeah. And not like we're, you know, at 100 million downloads like War Room or anything like that. We still, I think, have... We're the War Room shopping list anyway. Yeah, we're the War Room farm team. (laughs) There you go. So, and as Noah pointed out, most of our guests do appear on Steak for Breakfast before they're on War Room. Just saying it it happens. And that's fine. If you're listening. Right. Steve, if you ever want to sit down for an interview, we'd be more, more than happy to host you. Wear as many shirts as you want. (laughs) <laughs> three mi- three minimum yes uh round and third now heading home last segment kind of best of the rest uh today's january 4th and we're, we're a day and a half away from the anniversary of the insurrection or lack thereof uh that happened at the capitol last year following the fallout from uh you know the uh whole stop the steal movement liz cheney uh great friend of the president's 
<laughs> Biden, not Trump, uh, did the, the, the cable news roundup this weekend and, and was kind of talking about that stuff. Let's hear her give her take on, on the worst insurrection in the history of insurrections right now. Now, you were alarmed by this from the very start, from the moments, the first moments on January 6th when this started to unfold. You've cut a lonely path in your party. Have you been surprised by anything you found over the last year? Well, I've certainly been surprised by many things. Uh, I think that in uh, the piece that you played uh, by How John much of a Democrat Carl you are? a few moments ago, uh, he touched on the fact uh, that, that we know now, we are learning much more about what uh, former President Trump was doing while the violent assault was underway. The committee has firsthand testimony now that he was sitting in the dining room next to the Oval Office watching the attack on television uh, as, as the assault on the Capitol occurred. Uh, we know, uh, as you, you know well, uh, that the briefing room at the White House is just a mere few steps from the Oval Office. The president could have at any moment walked those very few steps into the briefing room, gone on live television, and told his supporters who were assaulting the Capitol to stop. He could have told them to stand down. He could have told them to go home. Uh, and he failed to do so. Uh, it's hard to imagine a more significant and more serious dereliction of duty uh, than that. Pretty sure he did weigh in on that I'm bitch, sure. and it took about, like, what, 28 minutes before he finally started getting that narrative out there? Yeah, well, yeah, didn't he say before all that shit happened, like, go home? Well, he, here's the thing. They can't, in the end, they won't be able to legally tie it for Trump because they started the whatever it was before he was actually done talking. Exactly. Well, that's, an, and then it was so far away from where he was talking, so they they were already planned to be there i mean whatever yeah so there's no way that it was a organic yeah. thing that just happened obviously but didn't he say like to go in peace basically yeah peace yeah. peacefully make your voices heard right and he stressed that too and i think in a, in a few statements prior to uh jan 6 so i mean what the fuck is she talking about well, well it's the same thing they're gonna repeat 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 until the general public thinks it's true yeah and then you could really uh, get to hear yeah you can really get to know her heart and how she feels about not only her own party, but President Trump, which we all know is extremely hateful. And this last clip I have of Liz Cheney, where she kind of gives an ultimatum for the party that's just about ready to kick her out before she gets primaried in November. I think that the, uh, the American people, again, and particularly the Republican Party, you know, we as Republicans have a choice to make. I I am a conservative Republican. I believe strongly in uh, the, the policies of low taxes <laughs> and limited government and right. a strong national defense. I think the country needs a strong Republican Party going forward, but our party has to choose. We can either uh, be loyal to Donald Trump or we can be loyal to the Constitution, what? but we cannot be both. What does that even and, mean? Uh, yeah, right weird. now, uh, there are far too many Republicans who are trying to uh, enable the former president, embrace the former president, look the other way, and hope that the former president goes away, trying to obstruct the activities of this committee. Uh, but we won't be. What? what are you talking about? Hey, it's like, what are you talking? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> Trump is about the Constitution. So what Constitution are you talking about, lady? Do you think, uh, do you see Liz Cheney after losing her primary? Uh, Democrat. Yeah, coming out as a national candidate for the Democrats in the 2024 presidential race? Very likely. I mean, or possible, but definitely I can see her switching parties for sure. 
Yeah, she's definitely not getting a lot of love, especially when you talk about, you know, Republicans and independents up in the 70s and 90s for support of President Trump, in addition to calling him the face of the party. So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you got to just buckle up and then watch her get pushed off into the sunset. And then at the end of the day, you can, uh, you know, look to see what she's going to do. So I know we saw it and and we had a lot of COVID in the show today because, again, it, it all encompasses everything right now, everything from like regulations and mandates to people losing their jobs and kids not being able to go back to school, et cetera. I don't know if you guys saw Darth Vader himself, Secretary <laughs> of Defense Lloyd Austin, ha! right right before we get back to work in the Beltway for January and probably have some fresh committees lined up. Imagine that, came down with COVID, fully vaccinated and boostered. And shielded. And shielded. Darth, was Darth Vader that? himself. That, is so that was an embarrassment and shows oh. our weakness on the international stage like no other. Yeah. Uh, our favorite paid op, Tucky weighed in on it last night and had a really good piece making fun of him. I thought it'd be... Like, uh, he needed to be wearing some, like, SpongeBob galoshes or something with that outfit. <laughs> no, he was wearing his medal. Oh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? That's what it was. I was like, was what is that cr- thing? Coronavirus medal? What, is, what was it for? For her at the time not getting it, but now he has to get oh. it back. Let's hear, Tucker, let's hear Tucker kind of make fun of him in this whole narrative with uh, Lloyd Austin. The COVID lunacy is finally going to end, and not, by the way, because of anything that's happening in the world of medicine. The pandemic itself may burn out thanks to this weakened new variant. We may also find highly effective medicines to treat it. In fact, we already have. But as a practical matter, scientific developments are usually irrelevant to COVID policy. They always have been. Mm. So the reason things are going to improve has nothing to do with medicine. It's that the current rules and superstitions are just too stupid and crazy to continue. At some point, probably soon, even the Democratic Party's own voters are going to stop putting up with it. You can bet on that. To prove it, we'll begin with two images tonight. The first is the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Now, Biden is the safest man in the world. Hundreds of federal employees spend their entire lives making certain that no harm comes to Joe Biden. When you're the president, your personal doctor is never more than a few steps away. An ambulance follows you the minute you leave the house. You can have any treatment you want at any time you want, as many vaccines as you care to take. Nobody in history has received more attentive medical care than Joe Biden is getting right now. He's the last person on earth who should be worried about COVID-19. And yet he's terrified. Here's Biden on the beach last week. He's outside, it's a breezy day, there's no one around but his own triple-vaxxed wife, the woman he claims to share a bed with. You'd think Joe Biden would consider this a safe environment, But no, there he is wearing his little surgical mask as he walks through the sand. What you've got to ask yourself, does Joe Biden imagine is going to hurt him? And how is the little mask supposed to help? Is he worried about wave-borne viruses? Clouds of (laughs) pathogens floating over the Atlantic from the Azores? Infected seagulls? We don't know, it's impossible to know the answers because it's all so completely bonkers. These are not rational fears. These are monsters under the bed, night terrors. This is textbook hysteria. It's a kind of mental illness. That's your president. Here's your secretary of defense. His name is Lloyd Austin. You can see him right now on your screen. He's emerging from his plane this summer on a tour of the Philippines. Lloyd Austin is more afraid of the coronavirus even than Joe Biden is. Biden wears a surgical mask. Lloyd Austin wears a welding helmet with a surgical (laughs) mask underneath. And underneath that, there's as much mRNA vaccine in Lloyd Austin's bloodstream as the law will allow. Lloyd Austin is ready to wage a protracted siege against COVID. Think of the Romans at Masada. Austin is the leader of the branch Covidians. And yet somehow, (laughs) in some way, a chink must have appeared in Lloyd Austin's formidable corona armor, a gap in his viral (laughs) fortifications. 
Yesterday, Lloyd Austin announced that despite his many vaccinations, he has contracted COVID. And it's serious enough that he won't be going to work for a while. Oh, so what's that. the lesson that Lloyd Austin is taking from we this? Missed. Well, that the vaccines work perfectly. And because they work so well, they will remain mandatory in the armed services. We can fire more SEALs. Mm. Austin wrote that in the same statement in which he announced that the vaccines that he took didn't work. Quote, the vaccines work and will remain a military medical requirement for our workforce. Right, because that's not completely irrational or anything, but it is completely irrational. And every clear thinking person knows that it is. It's, Pretty good take on it's it, huh? It's just idiotic. Really like you can't, you can't make the, people, the people that are clinging to this, like, like, it's the meme of the people putting the clown makeup on. Mm -hmm. For real. And it's, it's become real. It's, it's unbelievable, though. At the same time, you're like, holy shit, this is really, it's real, but it doesn't, it, it can't be. Well, <laughs> you, know? You, you know who really did put that clown <laughs> makeup on? This, this might be another meme for you, Noah. <laughs> Sandy Ocasio-Cortez coming <sighs> from the most probably dystopian lockdown portion of the United Wait, States, who? New York City. Sandy? AOC. Hey. Good old Sandy. Sandy? Yeah. She went to vacation in Florida, okay, yeah. with her boyfriend. Why wouldn't you? It's better there. Right. Agreed. Did you she, see her at the gay club? Oh, but no, that's not what she says, though. So she was filmed first at a, uh, you know, a bar where, where she was enjoying drinks with her creepy-looking ginger boyfriend she and his... She wasn't busting <laughs> tables. ...translucent, glowing white feet that look like they haven't seen the sun in decades, to which <laughs> she, she took to the internet and said, you know, conservatives are just mad because they can't date or sleep with her and that it's oh, creepy that it was the weirdest i was like there's no way she said that i'm like oh, she certainly did i i shared the tweet and uh she, she was taken to task by it and then at the same time yeah, she, she, gross. she was seen at a transgender event bar where she was dancing with some like six foot five thing yeah. adam's apple right Princess. penis flopping everywhere lots of makeup cocktail dress she's and so excited extra too. cock <laughs> So at the same time that this this happens, her and some other members of the squad and some of the more progressive people up in the Beltway made comments about Ron DeSantis. You know, they, they have had an uptick in, in hospitalizations in Florida, which was debunked by Matt Gates, showing that, you know, the over 5,000 hospitalizations, a minuscule amount of those were actually from COVID. It was just people who went in for like broken arms or voluntary surgeries and had COVID when they went in there. So the numbers were inflated to make DeSantis look bad. But they also said since the started this surge he's been absent from public view well it turns out that in between christmas and new year's his wife had a couple harder treatments for her breast cancer that she's going through now and like any husband would he accompanied her yeah and uh did a lot of his work remotely but blacked out some of his schedule due to the fact that these appointments were going on and she's kind of going through treatment he weighed in after the weekend i believe it was yesterday talking about aoc and some of these other progressives taking advantage of the people in their own portions of the country and then coming and letting it all hang out like the trannies AOC was dancing with in Florida. If I had a dollar for every lockdown politician 
who decided to escape to Florida over the last two years, I'd be a pretty doggone wealthy man, let me tell you. I mean, Congress people, mayors, governors, I mean, you name it. And um, it's interesting, though, the reception that, you know, that, that some of these folks will get in Florida, because I think a lot of Floridians say, wait a minute, you're bashing us because we're not doing your draconian policies, and yet we're the first place you want to flee to, uh, to basically to be able to, to, to enjoy life. And so I'm not surprised to see that continue to happen and that's why he will always be big dick ron yeah for sure uh, he, he he will straight up call him on it and and take him to task i think uh you know in our final video clip of the day today we uh are going to jump in here with steve cortez who gave kind of a end of the year roundup for for some of the Beltway politics going on, some numbers. You know, he's a stats guy. He was a stats guy for the Trump administration when he was a senior advisor and uh, kind of gave a little bit of a insider view on what he sees happening right now and what the outlook for the future is. This is our first show of the new year. We're hoping for it to be a lot better one than the last year and a half, if not two years, have been. Uh, let's kind of hear what Steve Cortez had going on in this clip, and uh, we'll talk about it. Patriots, new polling from Axios reveals a dismal year-end reality, a spike in American fear, and particularly among Democrats. Now, at the end of last year, they asked Americans, are you more fearful about the year ahead? Among Democrats, as Biden took office, not surprisingly, there was a lot of optimism. Fewer than 20% of all Democrats reported that they were fearful about the year ahead. But what's happened since? After a year of Joe Biden in the White House, this number has skyrocketed more than doubling to 45% of Democrats saying they are now fearful about the year ahead. Here's the, the macro takeaway. Radical Democrats right now are in control of almost every important institution in American life, from big business to the military, to academia, to the media, to the House, the Senate, and the White House. And despite all of that institutional control, this is the level of despondency among their own supporters. That should reassure us that the apex of their power has now been reached and that our young America First movement is ascendant. And that if we are tough and smart and dedicated, that ascendance of this young movement will accelerate in 2022 and beyond. Kind of good to hear. What do you guys think? I mean, if you take into consideration all the people we've had on this show in the last year and a half, kind of uh, feeds into that equation. Yeah. You definitely see a lot more people than ever before, ones that you didn't think would be in politics out there and uh, running really strong campaigns and looking to kind of right this ship. I think so. I mean, definitely that for sure. It's um, definitely changed in this last year and a lot of people are fired up and we've got new faces, fresh faces, and that's what we need. America first people. Oh, there's more people that just think that riding the ship is the right thing to do now too. They're yes. like, yeah, this thing's kind of taking on a little bit more water than I like. Right now it seems kind of fucked up. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with that statement. And I think moving forward, we can just got to keep making the push for, you know, getting this election stuff straightened out and getting our, uh, government back from the tyrants that be uh, moving forward, you know, back in the uh, right corner where it needs to be. Starting off the new year right, what do you think? 
go. Definitely going to be a couple more edits than usual due to time constraints. However, we were able to bring you an action-packed America First. It was a solid lineup. Uh, initial steak for breakfast of 2022. Initial? Initial. <laughs> um, and if this is the initial podcast you're listening to, hopefully you found us on every place we can get downloaded. You can find Steak for Breakfast on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds. Obviously, our guest that we had on today, Vice President of the New York Republicans Club, Vish Burra. Uh, candidate running in Georgia 10, Patrick Witt. And running in Alabama 5, Casey Wardinsky. In addition... Some of our internet friends, Tagbro88, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Garbaggio.Private, Christina Bob of One American News, who know us, spoiler alert, she offered us jobs in the next administration this weekend. Well, I kind of volunteered us, but she said, if, if you guys are willing to give up everything, then I don't see why you, somebody wouldn't take you with them. Wow. Like, done, done. Wow. Uh, new House candidate, host of Red, White, and Truth, Mike Crispy. And Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of The National File. Guys, don't forget to uh, go check out our partners. My pillow. Get that sleep stuff taken care of. Nobody can better give you a good night's sleep than the humblest of pillow farmers, Mike Lindell. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. Go ahead and uh, enter steak at checkout. Promo code for up to 66% off. And more my pillow products. Odyssey, top tier of ear gear. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They're on Noah's ears. Facts. And they're great. Stay ready gear. Melted plastic done right. Send them a picture. Send them some money, and they'll send you back a really nice holster that you can uh, stick underneath your shirt and put a gun in. That's it. Black and white. That's a, that's stay ready gear. I mean, you're not wrong. Man rubs. Thinking I'm going to make some uh, homemade fried chicken today. I will be rubbing them with man rubs prior to the uh, frying of the chicken. And it's weird if you do it after. Sure, it's going to be delicious. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They're at manrubs.com. West Coast Survival Arms. Go visit Mike. He'll get you uh, packing heat in the new year. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the newly redesigned website. He's via the telephone at 619-870-6992. He's on Facebook and Facebook Messenger as well. Mediocre Medic, our first responders' favorites. They love MediocreMedic.com and even more so their Instagram. And DumpBox.us, home of the Zero Fucks Duck. If you don't know, go ask Mark. Facebook, Instagram, DumpBox.us. Support our partners and help make them be great small American businesses again. Upcoming shows. Got a buttload of them. Finally even start scheduling into February. This Friday, it's going to be another banger for Noah and his editing skills. We're going to have uh, Savannah Hernandez, podcast host, join us with Mike Crispy, who's now running in New Jersey 4. He announced his candidacy over the weekend, and uh, we are extremely happy to have him on for his first interview and, and hear about his campaign for the front end of the show and then the back end we'll have that southern dude and mostly peaceful memes to do the rest of the news with us 
And also Bradley Lanning of Pennsylvania One. Sorry, but it'll be a great show. I still like it. Yeah. Coming up on the uh, 11th of January, Kelly Cooper running in Arizona 11. And midterm challenger to Andrea Ocasio-Cortez. Desi Quaylar running in New York 14. Andrea? Andrea Sandy Alexandra We just got the bartender Yeah There you go I'd like to close my tab Episode 100 is going to be on the 18th of January Hopefully Nick will be joining us in addition to Nor Bin Laden and Geisha Montez will be here Primary challenger to Nancy Mace Out of South Carolina 1 Lynn's Piper Loomis will be joining us on the 21st of January In addition to Bo Hines running in North Carolina 7 on the 25th of January, Jameson Ellis, running in Texas 2, will be jumping on the show. And on a hard reschedule due to uh, Andrew McAfee documentary-related things, Amanda Milius will be circling back with us on a circle back of a reschedule on the 2nd, or I'm sorry, the 4th of February. And uh, we'll continue to keep that show locked out. I'm trying to take her original spot, which we didn't have any other guests. Maybe we'll be bringing you Dr. Zelenko that day. Maybe we'll be bringing you Bernard Carrick. I'm working with both of those schedulers. Maybe we'll bring you both. Much to Noah's dismay. Be a twofer. Yeah. Friends of the week. Let's go, Brenda. Truth on Draft. The Duke of Memes. Sublime and Slime. Thank Elvis. Madam America. Snack Nicholson. 2.0. That Southern Dude. What I Mean to Say. Mostly Peaceful Memes. And Pubertos. Guys, between now and next show, we've narrowed down our list of things that we need to do. Number one, do your own research. Very, uh, go teach yourself about the administrative deep state and how that's really one of the biggest issues that uh, is affecting the government right now and really affected the government during the Trump administration. Start a podcast. Super easy. Doesn't matter if you got COVID again and you both feel like shit. And every time we pause it, Noah complains about it. You still come in and do the show. You take a little ivermectin and then just it's the flu. go on with your day. It's fluvid. <laughs> Aside from that, Flurona. let's see what happens. This has been episode 96 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Hi, guys. Feel better. We'll see you guys on Friday. Thanks for listening. Take care. Uh, COVID-1 clearly originated in China, and we were fortunate to escape a major pandemic. So we really had to learn a lot more about the viruses that were there, about whether or not people were getting infected with bad viruses. So in a very minor collaboration, as part of a subcontract of a grant, we had a collaboration with some Chinese com- uh, Chinese uh, scientists. And, and what he conflated that is that therefore we were involved in creating the virus, which is Mr. Powers, you'll notice that all of the sharks have laser beams attached to their heads. I figure every creature deserves a warm meal. Dr. Evil, it's about the sharks. When you were frozen, they were put on the endangered species list. We tried to get some, but it would have taken months to clear up the red tape. You know, I have one simple request. And that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. Now, evidently, my cycloptic colleague informs me that that can't be done.
Uh, can you remind me what I pay you people for? Honestly, throw me a bone here. What do we have? Sea bass. Right. 